bomb slam for Eric Hosmer. It is a nine-run seventh inning. Woo, that ball was powdered out of here. Oh, good for Haas. That is a... So I told you as I signed off last time that I would be back in a week or two. And for once in what has been a spotty spring and summer, I made it back with a day to spare. Uh, this is Season 7, Episode 13 of the Sportscasters. I speak to you from Buffalo, New York on Thursday, July 27th, 2017. Have a special guest host tonight. Good friend of mine. I don't even know how... We started this, but I think we got in a Yale-Harvard hockey fight on Twitter. Maybe we both got tagged in a tweet of someone we were following, maybe Josh Sagan or someone in the ECAC world. And me and this guy got to chatting and didn't see eye to eye on any on everything, but always enjoyed talking about anything. And he was a really good dude. He came up to New Hampshire and watched Anthony's last game. Didn't get to meet Anthony because he was in a 43-hour drug test that the NCAA blessed him with while he was still sweating in his Under Armour. Uh, but that story is in our archives if you'd like to find it. Uh, and I've always promised Mike a chance to be on the show, and today I'm fulfilling that pro- promise. So from somewhere near Boston, Massachusetts, I introduce you to my co-host tonight, Mike Abelson. What's up, Mike? Steve, you, you finally have followed through on the promise I told having you. me on. I mean, I work slow. When, when you first made that pro- when you first made that promise, the world was very different. Alabama was still national champions. It's a whole different world now. Yeah, Anthony was like a freshman at Yale. They hadn't even won it. It's been a while, but uh... I, and to, and I think we met via Twitter because we both chimed in on some on a tweet that Jeff Perlman tweeted. Oh, Perlman, okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it was something yeah. about him. And then I'm like, who is this clown with the Yale hockey everything on everything? Um, I mean, I still think you're a clown. Right. But, um, you know, I've gotten to know you. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, fair. you know, the, the Crimson at least made a Frozen Four this year. Like, it still hurts. They did, yeah. That, that, that finish still hurts. But... The, uh, the uh, Vessi, what's that, what's that theory that uh, Simmons has? Oh, the Ewing theory. Harvard Ewing theoried Vessi this year. And which, which one's that theory? Uh, I guess his theory is that when you subtract the best player from the team, the next year they have their best season. Like, I think that's the general theory. You know, so yeah. Harvard could never get over the hump with Vessi. I call him Vessi no matter what. He's Vessi to me. 2-11 and 2 all-time versus Yale. Uh, hey, I was there in the in a game two of the ECAC quarters this year when Harvard knocked Yale the hell out of that thing. Yeah, well, Harvard was a great team. They're a much better team than Yale was last year. Uh, but and they was, were they was, were better without Jimmy. Yeah, there was no Vesey, so there was a Ewing theory thing there. Uh, Sean Malone, who's a Buffalo kid, he's actually the anti-Anthony. He went to Nichols, which is the only other prep school in Buffalo. Anthony went to St. Francis. So they're obviously big rivals, the two prep schools. And then Anthony went to Yale, Malone went to Harvard. So I've always called Malone the anti-Anthony. Uh, let's see. 
big show today, uh, besides Mike being with me. We're going to do, do a full show. We're going to do three things, Mike and I, in a second. Uh, Dan Levy is with us. Dan, his podcast, he's kind of a pioneer in podcasting. His podcast way back in the day was called On the DL. And this podcast, in a way, was modeled after, after On the DL. Definitely one of the early influences. Uh, some of the early stuff that Damashek did on pod, in podcasting and Dan Levy for sure. Uh, and Dan joined the sponsor so a year, and we followed him through his career. To he was uh, the first ever head writer when Bleacher Report stopped being just slideshows and all that, and actually started having columns. And then they decided they wanted more famous people and squeezed him out. And he was with Awful Announcing for a while, and I think he still contributes there. And now he's the editor and writer at a Philadelphia site called Billy Penn. And uh, Dan will join us to talk, uh, see what's up with Dan. Uh, then later, after the book club update, Rich Bokini will join us. Rich spent a lot of time in minor league hockey. Uh, calling minor league hockey, made a Calder Cup run with the Houston Arrows when he was working PR for them. A bunch of young Minnesota Wild players. Uh, uh, Hackett was the goalie. Scandello was on the team. A bunch of the uh, what would become the Wild core made that run. Lost in the Calder Cup final. The day before, uh, the Bruins won the Cup the next day. He's a, he's a New England guy. Grew up in Rhode Island. Went to Rhode Island College. Uh, Mike, you went to University of Rhode Island, correct? Yeah, yes. It's, it's a big brother, little brother thing. Rhode, URI is the D1, and Rhode Island College is the D3 in Olneyville, the delightfully... Oh, no. It's it's almost an Olneyville section of Providence. It's on Mount Pleasant. Um, I just wanted to say Olneyville, because it's a really fun thing to say. Yeah, so Rich, the younger... I guess went to the younger brother version or whatever, and he's on the show today to talk about his career calling hockey, and then he pivoted... You know how the websites are pivoting from text to video no one wants? Well, he pivoted from hockey to wrestling and started working at the WWE. He was the lead play-by-play guy through the boom period of NXT. He was the main man when they were having the big takeover events in front of 20K uh, called like Neville versus Sami Zayn, the main event. Yep. That, that was him uh, around that era. And then he got bumped up to SmackDown, and then kind of out of nowhere got Future Endeavored. Yep. Uh, and Rich is on to talk to us about all that, wrestling, hockey. Really, it was a fun, kind of a long, cool interview. So that'll be after the book club. And then one last thing. I will do one, and Mike will too. Uh, but before we can get to any of that, we are going to do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. On the count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right, Mike. So, so the what? NFL is here. There are, I believe, seven-ish Sundays without. NFL games, but training camps have begun across the league. Teams have reported uh, most of the players. Le'Veon Bell, probably the biggest name, hold out. He's playing under the franchise tag this year. They didn't come to a long-term agreement, so 
you know he isn't putting his knees or ACLs at risk until he absolutely has to. So probably won't see him till about the third preseason game. I think the team knows that. They'll probably fine him some minuscule amount uh, and then never collect it or collect it and give it to charity, whatever. I don't know. But it's a, it's a, it's a story, non-story. Antonio Brown did show up. Did you see how Antonio Brown showed up to training camp well, today? I'll say this off the top. I haven't watched a full NFL game in like four years. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to talk to you about that. But I did see the tweet from Antonio Brown <laughs> looking like modern Batman. Yeah, he showed, showed up with a butler driving him, an old white guy with a hat. With, and I, I think it was like a vintage Rolls Royce is what he was driving, I believe. That's what I would say. I'm not a car guy, but that would be my guess. Some kind yeah, of vintage Rolls Royce. Kind of had, kind of had the phantom, uh, was it? figurehead you know on the hood like that the logo like the caddy logo but it was like a it looked like a rolls phantom man he he his, his this is sports center commercials are great his rides to training camp are great and zone dances are good i mean as long as you only torque twice can't do it three times right right and you know he just it, it's nice to see in a league as conservative and as constricting as the NFL, Antonio Brown is still very, very much the guy he wants to be. Yeah, that guy that drove him, I didn't hear him, but he's got to be British, I'm sure. You know, there's no doubt. And if he's not, he probably pretended today to be British. Oh, for sure. Uh, Colin Kaepernick is still unemployed, speaking of the NFL being conservative. I was listening to Jimmy Trainer from SI, who's been on this program a bunch of times as a podcast, and he had on Rich Eisen today. They're talking about this, and Rich really thinks that the Sox are the death knell for Kaepernick a lot more than the kneeling. And the fact that he never apologized and obviously isn't going to apologize for wearing the socks with the pigs, police, you know, police pigs on them, uh, that seems to be what's really, really tough because whoever signs them. You know, right away that police force is out. You got to hire independent security. He's going to get signed. One thing that's really annoyed me about it is, like, some team's fourth quarterback will get hurt, so they assign Dan Orlovsky or whatever that guy who ran out of the end zone hey, for the Lions. Hey, that's that, that's UConn's finest quarterback, baby. Come yeah, on. they'll sign him for like thirty k and a jersey for three weeks before they have to make their cut, and everyone will yeah. cry like. Oh, Kaepernick can't get a job with that guy. It's like, look at Kaepernick doesn't want that job. Kaepernick's not looking to sign for the league minimum to be someone's fourth quarterback and get cut. That guy, it, it that that's what annoys me for people who are so mad that Kaepernick doesn't have a job, uh, but he will. Look at, I could see being uh, more annoyed when RG three gets the tires kicked, but Baltimore could be a good fit for him. Uh, Roman I did and, see that. I did see that. There. I saw that getting kicked around. Captain yeah. Baltimore, so I think kicked around the Twitter machine. You know what? I just can't worry about Colin Kaepernick that much. I just can't. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sure there's someone out there who can. Uh, his mother is probably upset about it. I'm sure he is, his agent. But I can't get too upset about it. I have no real problem with what he did. I wouldn't have done it. I said last year that that wouldn't have been me out there on a knee during the anthem. When I go to the Sabres game, I take my hat off, stand there, put my hand over the heart, look at the flag, and think about how great my life is. Except you're at a Sabres game. Except for that, especially the last <laughs> five or six years, for sure. Uh, the, la- 
the last how many years has it been since Brett Hull was in the crease? Well, that was 99, but we had a great run when the league came back from the strikeout. Those two years were my favorite two years as a Sabres fan. Oh, yeah. They, they, didn't they make a cup final one year? Uh, they made two straight conference finals. They lost okay. game seven to Carolina in Carolina with no NHL defenses left on the ice, I think, except for Brian Campbell. Just lost kind of the war of attrition there. Every time they okay. won a game in the conference finals, they lost a defenseman. They're like down to it, it, it's down God, it's to, Buffalo. Yeah, it was a very Buffalo thing too. They were down to like organization defenseman number thirteen in conference final game seven. Oh, and we woke up that day thinking we'd have Jay McKee, and he woke up that day thinking he'd be playing, but instead woke up with a some kind of deadly infection in his leg from a cut that he got two rounds earlier. Oh, that's such a Buffalo thing that yeah. happened. Yeah, it's a very Buffalo thing. So then they had it. So then McKee was gone. But uh, we actually talked with Jay about that on the show. and It's in the archives. Uh, so I think I still think Cap will be in the league at some point. Uh, he's good. Ag- again, though, there's certain jobs, and I wish people would understand this, that he's not interested in. He's not interested in a fourth quarterback job. He's interested in second or better, and he wants second or better money to do it. And uh, it's going to take a lot for a team to make that commitment to a guy that I'm sure is going to kneel on their sideline during the anthem and potentially wear socks with police dressed in pigs on the sideline. He has well, to understand that. I mean, that that that's going to scare employ- employers away. Just as much as he has a right to kneel during the anthem, employers have a right to not want a guy that kneels during the anthem. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like when people, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very... I don't know, I'm I'm really on board with the fact that Ka- Kaepernick has stuck to his beliefs because yeah, that's, good for him. He's that, put his money where his mouth is. That's more than you can say for a lot more people. Yeah, uh, who who should be uh, sticking by their beliefs. Right, and you know, still people talk about well, it's free speech, and well, yeah, no one's throwing him in prison for doing what he did, but there's other world consequences. You know, like you know, I'm I'm an editor for some web some websites. If one of my writers subtweets me or something, you know, f, you know, f this guy, it's like, well, I'm not going to call the police, but I'm going to fire you, right? You know, there's real world consequences. But pivoting back to sports and pivoting, as you said earlier, yeah, um, Kaepernick in high school was a very accomplished pitcher, and his only scholarship offer for football coming out of high school was at Nevada, and he really wanted to play quarterback, but he was a very talented baseball player as well. I I wonder. You know, could he potentially get a job for a baseball team? I mean, Tim Tebow, I mean, has has made an athletic career of not being a top level athlete. And Colin Kaepernick made us, you know, piloted a team to a Super Bowl. And Tebow has been able to get a job in in baseball. I wonder if Kaepernick would be able to go there if he chose to, because he's My, still relatively young. Minor league baseball teams will do just about anything for attention. Yeah. Uh, speaking of wanting attention, Odell Beckham Jr. showed up at camp today and said he wants to be the highest played player in the league. I got news for Odell. Wide receivers don't get quarterback money. Uh, he can say that all he wants, but he's never going to get quarterback money. It's just not going to happen. And quarterbacks don't get NBA money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the NBA, that's another thing that's been a big deal. A lot. It, it is every year now when NBA free agency comes up and they throw around these crazy contracts, but they're just splitting the money up, and when you only have to split it up to 15 guys as opposed to 53, those oh, yeah. other guys are going to get a, a bigger chunk. So, yeah, hey, should have been basketball players, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Beckham, throwing it down. John Urschel probably wishes he was a basketball 
player. He retired two days after a CTE study came out. The CTE study was damning for football, but I will say to keep in mind that most of the people that donated the brains to the study donated them because they assumed their loved one was suffering from some kind of symptoms. Uh, it's not like they picked out random NFL brains to study. I mean, I think that you know if you're if you're a 65 year old NFL player who's lived healthy, a healthy life. Uh, post NFL career and you're winding down your life and filling out your will, you're probably less likely to donate that brain and get it taken out of your head uh, after you die than someone who at 65 uh, needs to be taken care of and is feeling suicidal or whatever the CTE uh, symptoms they're, they're, they're feeling show. But obviously, look at obviously if you play NFL football, and you probably played college, which means you probably played high school, which means you maybe played before that, which means you've taken a lot of hits. Your risk for CTE is high. And I think in 2017, anyone who's playing the sport should know that by now. And uh, it's just like a kid. I used to work hockey schools, and I used to work with these young Canadian kids who say if they didn't make it to the NHL, they were going to go out west and work in the oil fields in Calgary because they could make $90,000 a year to do these really risky jobs in the oil field and they knew that their lives would end up one of three ways they would die out there they would get rich out there or they would potentially become drug addicts that's kind of how the life is and these guys are like look i know the score and i'm going to go out there because that's my best way to earn that much money and uh they understood it and they did it and some probably successfully some not but it's just an example of they understood and i think now nfl players in the 70s, you could get away with saying, look, I just didn't understand. The teams pressured me. I didn't know. We all know now. We all know the risks. So, Well, I mean, you know, you're seeing guys retire in college. I mean, I think a Stephen Three who played quarterback at Michigan and Arizona State. Even a guy like Jordan Wynn, who was, start, who was the starting quarterback at Utah, pretty good Utah team a few years ago. They both retired because of concussions, and they said, you know, I'm 21, 22 years old. I mean, even then, your brain still isn't fully formed. And in an adult male, your brain's not fully formed until 27 or 28. So you're still very young. And they're like, you know, I want to salvage some of my life uh, going forward rather than continue to literally crack my skull to try and get a paycheck that may not even be there in two years. And that's a totally fair position. I totally get it. I applaud those dudes. I hope they're doing well. Uh, And I hope John Urschel stays healthy and does well in his post-NFL life. Uh, The Major League Baseball non-waiver trade deadline is July 31st. The Yankees kind of struck first since we were on last. They made the move for Todd Frazier. They're getting really hot in the East. The other Frazier, the kid, is just another one of these young Yankees who kills the ball. They're looking really good. The Red Sox are really good. It'll be interesting interesting to see if they fire back. They have won the last two uh, Chris Saley starts and lost everything else in the middle of them. So... Did you just say Chris Saley? Did I? Yeah, it's it's Chris Sale. Yeah, I know that. I don't know why I said Saley. I'm going quick here. We're running out of time. I don't even watch baseball and I know that. Well, I know his name is Chris Sale. (laughs) I just misspoke. Um, The Mets are sellers. They traded Duda to the Royals today. So that'll tell you what the market is for a run-a-hitter. It's not huge. 
But there are some interesting pitchers out there. Sonny Gray, you Darvish are available. I heard Dar- Darvish had a, like a comically bad start in his last game. Like once his name started getting thrown around for trades, his his, his he just had a garbage start yesterday or two days ago. I'm not going to try to speculate too much like on where these guys are going to go. Jeff Passan will be here next week from Yahoo after it's all done. It'd be silly of Mike and I to try to predict something that is going to happen one way or another by the time you even hear this, or Jeff can come in and talk about what happened. So I thought it might be fun real quick. Mike, you're not a big baseball guy, right? No, I mean, I was, I mean, growing up in Boston, I mean, 2004 was still everything to everybody when the Sox finally did it. But over the last several years, it's kind of fallen out. Just Well, I play, I play this game with Don all the time because he's not a big baseball guy either. And it's how many of the six division winners can you, or leaders, can you get? So let's start in the NL East. This team has a 13-game lead over the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to say the Nationals. Correct. Okay. Uh, this team in the Central has a one-game lead in the division. I think I just saw this on SportsCenter. I think the Cubs just retook the lead. Over the Brewers. And the Cardinals are in third. Pirates hanging in there four-back. Uh, in the West, okay. this team has been the best team in baseball kind of by a mile. Oh, this is the Dodgers. The Dodgers. I thought they, they have like lost like two games in the last like two and a half months or something. Yeah, their record is seventy-one and thirty-one. That's that. That's good. That's pretty good. It's pretty. pretty you want to try to take a good. guess who the top two wild card teams are? The the league season ended today. Who do you think would be in the wild card? Uh, Both teams from the Dodgers division in the West. Really? Okay. So I guess I'll just go. Ah, uh, crap. Who's Who's the other team in that division? There's a there's a who. Hold on, let me go through the Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Rockies, Diamondbacks. Okay, I'm gonna go Rockies, Giants, Rockies, and Diamondbacks. Ah, dang it! Diamondbacks are 58 and 43. The Rockies are 58 and 45. The Brewers, Cardinals, and Pirates, I suppose, are in contention. Although the Pirates are seven and a half games back. Uh, the Giants, for the record, are 40-63. and 63. I mean, the closest I've ever been to the National League, I went to one Giants game a few years ago. It was pretty good. That's an amazing it's, ballpark. It's, it's pretty good. Well, leading, leading the AL East, this should be a layup. I'm, I, just based on you saying that, I'm going to say the Red Sox, but I don't know for certain. Yeah, they're lead by one over the Yanks, who are cutting that lead down. The Rays, two and a half back. Uh, the AL Central. Ah, uh, Central. Okay. I know the the Astros are leading the West. Right. They've been the other big team this year. They're 67 and 34. Okay. I'm going to say... Crap, who's even in the Central? The Tigers? Tigers are in fourth place at 45 and 55. Oh, that is, I, I was very, very... Cleveland? Cleveland. They lead by two okay. games over the Royals, who I said are buyers. Uh, so that leaves two teams... Currently ahead in a more crowded wild card race in the AL. Who do you think it is? I'm going to say the Yankees are one of them. Yep, they are the top team. Okay, and then I am going to say the Angels. It's the Royals. Ah, the Royals. The Rays okay. are one game behind the pace, and then the Mariners, Twins, Rangers, Angels, and Orioles are all within five. I mean, the yeah, I just the closest thing I can do about baseball is a buddy of mine pitched a really radical like overtime for baseball and I loved it uh, 
if you want to hear it, I'll by, by all means tell it on sure, the air. Sure, it out. Go ahead. Okay, right. so in the middle of May, the Yankees, and the, or maybe it was June, I don't know, but the Yankees and Cubs had just a random, like, Wednesday night game or something that went to, like, 14 innings and ended at, like, 3 in the morning. Yeah, I remember the game. Yeah, and yeah. so me and my friend are just, we're like, we're both, like, this is crazy. I mean, for, for they, they, we were like, baseball needs its version of five minutes in a shootout, like hockey has. Like, playoff hockey, they just keep going, which is great. I don't ever want to change that. Playoff baseball, they should just keep playing extras. That's great. I don't want to change that. But what he proposed for um, regulation, for regular season overtime, you either do it after the ninth, or if you want, you can play a tenth inning and then do it. Teams leave the field, managers meet at home plate, visiting team calls a coin. Whoever wins it can choose offense or defense, and then we play three outs. If the defensive team gets the three outs, they win. If the offensive team scores, they win. The catch with the offensive team is that they can mix and match their entire lineup however they choose. So if in the next inning they were supposed to bat 8-9-1, they can go bat 2-3-5. Right, it's like picking guys for the shootout. You can pick any guys to come to bat. Yeah, yeah. and you just play the three outs. And then yeah, Interesting. I mean, good. Uh, that's cool. I would try it, but good luck getting anyone in baseball to change anything. Oh, right? yeah. oh come on. I, I mean, in, in a league where the unwritten rule book is two and a half inches thick, like, yeah, I mean, it's not going to happen, but it was just fun to talk about, like, at two in the morning on Facebook. All right, you're up. What do you got? Oh, God. I mean, you know, you know, I'm a big wrestling guy. I don't know if you saw the craziness that has been going on in the WWE recently. Yeah, I've been with... keeping up relatively. I mean, SummerSlam time, so I've been keeping up a little bit more. So I like <coughs> to watch me. SummerSlam, so. Yeah, SummerSlam's coming, but it is such a mess right now. <laughs> Jinder Mahal is champion. Uh, great colleague came back to help him beat Randy Orton in a Punjabi prison match. I actually watched that. Y- you couldn't see any of it. I couldn't see anything. Yeah, it's brutal. I had never you seen know, a Punjabi. I was, I guess, out the last time they had these matches, so I'd never seen one. It, it's only the third time they've ever done it. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, and, it, you know, it comes to me because you and I have gone back and forth because we look at wrestling very differently. I mean, you love the old 80s, the rock and roll wrestling, and I'm really into the modern, independent, the current independent scene. The New Japan Pro Wrestling has been fantastic. Yeah. You know, I really want to be into this, but it's like, do you kind of throw your hands up when you see a match like this or just hear of an angle like this and just kind of be like, come on, man. I did. I did this, Mike. I did throw my hands up. You know, I came back around WrestleMania 30. WrestleMania 30 was really good. A good comeback for the whole Daniel Bryan thing at the end. I mean, it was an amazing visual. Uh, The start of it with Hogan and Austin and The Rock being in the ring was awesome. Uh, and I followed along as well as I could until I just got too smarky for my own being. I just didn't like anything. I don't enjoy ladies wrestling, so I was not interested in that movement at all. Uh, I think it's a mess. Uh, I like John Cena, but he's not around much. Uh, Randy Orton's kind of boring. I just hated it, and I, I took a step back and I said, my God, there is so much wrestling out there I do like. Why am I being a snot and watching this stuff I don't just to complain about it? So I stopped, and I've been spending so much time uh, watching old wrestling on YouTube or the network, listening to old podcasts like Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard or the new J.J. Dillon show that uh, 
Rich, uh, Rich will be on later hosts. And I've just been reading old books, stuff like that. I've just been enjoying my time being the last fan, lapsed fan in an era where there's tons of content. And I watch the, yeah. the big shows with my friends for fun. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do. You know, it's, it's kind of hard because I, I, I'm, I'm, I follow along on the pro wrestling subreddit. And people take it so damn serious. Yeah, I just and couldn't like, do it anymore. Yeah, you know, I went to um, I went to a SmackDown taped a TV episode up in Manchester, New Hampshire, where where we last met. Um, and you know, I just there to see AJ Styles and Orton and Baron Corbin, and I'm like, I kind of know what's going on, but I just wanna, I don't know, I just kind of want to screw around with some friends, go out, have a beer, and go watch a show, and then people just. They take it, you know. I thought this was entertainment. I thought this was supposed to be fun. So many people don't make it fun. So it's nice to at least have options. You know, I'm actually going to a, a big independent show up here in New England on Sunday. I don't know when the show's coming out. It, it may come out today, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow but, it'll be out Friday. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so I'm going to Beyond Wrestling on Sunday, which is going to be a real fun time. And it's like, hey, I get to hang out with friends and have fun. And a lot of wrestling kind of sucks that people just kind of seem to eternally hate watch it. Yeah, and I, like, I think the moral of the story for both of us is the same. Just find what wrestling you love and makes you happy and keeps you entertained and watch that. Well, that's kind of, like I said at the, uh, at the top, how I haven't watched the NFL in years. I just didn't enjoy it anymore. So I just didn't watch it. <laughs> Instead of complaining or whatnot, I just stopped watching. I watched my college football on Saturdays. I cover the highest the local high schools up here in mass new hampshire on friday nights and that's what i do I wa- and i watch the cfl i do enjoy the cfl in the summers which is really strange but hey to each their own yeah no i think there's a good a good kind of moral to that story i mean it's just i just couldn't i still look at i'm excited to watch SummerSlam. i'll watch it you know and i'll Probably like some of it, and not like some of it. AJ Styles is great to watch work. Kevin Owens yeah. is really good, and uh, I love Cena. Although I have a feeling he could be in something boring, but we'll see. Uh, Nakamura is talented, although the appeal there is a little off to me. They haven't really. Like, I, I fell in love with Nakamura in Japan, where he really was at the height of his powers. And they're kind of using him differently because at at his best, the when he his character in Japan was just this carefree ass that just didn't that just didn't care about you, but was so happy and gleeful in kicking you in the face that it was just it was infectious. It's so hard in Vince's WWE yeah. to be a top guy if you can't speak English. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just not going to happen for him if he can't if he can't talk. It's just not. Yeah, I mean... He's the, over. Uh, the crowd loves him, but... Yeah, well, I mean, he's really... He's still physically charismatic, but the ma- but also the matches he does, they kind of aren't, like, his traditional style of matches. Right. Like, in, you know, a, Jap- a Japanese main event match is just going to operate differently than an American. It's just how... This, the, just the strategy and the style of it. And, um, you know, he, everyone's... Everyone's kind of the same in the WWE right now, which stinks because like he's he's really really good and he's kind of getting up there. Um, I mean he's in, he's only he's only like thirty five, but he had a lot of wear on the tires uh, from his New Japan days, where he'd basically been at or near the top since he was like twenty three, twenty four. Right. Um, and so I mean I would love for him to have another mega match because he usually brings it 
for big matches, and um, and he's he'll just mail it in when it's not a big match. But he's he's wrestling Cena on Tuesday, so I hope that that turns out to be a good one. Yeah, and supposedly someone's seen a poster that leads them to believe SummerSlam is going to be a three-way with Mahal, Nakamura, and Cena. So we'll see. That'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting match. Uh, real quickly on this, and then we'll take a break and get Dan in here. So what did you think of the six-in-one-quarter match? I know we talked about the six-star match when they had it, but I don't know if we ever talked about the... Oh, the six-and-a-quarter, Okada, Omega-2. Yes. I thought, I thought it was good. I thought... There's a reason most matches don't go 60 minutes. Uh, it was worth it for the finish and everything that they did in the last like 15 minutes of that match. I'll put up against any wrestling now and forever. Um, but I thought that six and a quarter, I thought you could have cut seven or eight minutes out of it. Whereas I could barely get through it. I like the other one a lot better. Yeah, uh, the dome match was much more well paced. And I, they're going, they got a third match coming up. Um, two weeks from Saturday as part of New Japan's G1 Climax tournament, right. which will be really interesting because it's it's time limited to thirty minutes. Meltzer's already given it eight stars. Oh well, I, see, I'm hoping they just kind of flip the script and just go absolutely buku bananas crazy for like nine minutes and end it really fast, but just shove like forty minutes of wrestling into ten minutes. I think that would be so cool. They do work fast. I will give them that. They do not stand around even in the sixty minute match. They did not stand around at all i mean they just went for 60 minutes i just i tell you this and i'll tell anyone is as much as i love wrestling if there's no why attached to it if you kind of try to watch out of context if you don't have a connection to the why it's just two guys having a fake fight yeah and then you know two guys having a fake fight then doing actual like near death stunts towards the end right and, and they're I mean, not afraid to uh to test the limits for sure those guys are <laughs> Unbelievable! Yeah. I don't take. I'm not taking anything away from them. Uh, it's just. I mean, I, I just think don't right have now, a connection to it, unfortunately. Yeah, I think right now Okada is the best wrestler on earth. Yeah, he probably right is. Now, he's only 29, and he makes everyone he wrestles look like a million bucks. It's insane how he makes everyone look good. But yeah, New Japan they they don't have a weekly TV show, so while they have characters and they definitely have angles, a lot more are based on just like toughness and like tradition and pride. Um, and so if you don't kind of know the backstory or know the rules of, of the tournament that they're in, because they do a lot of in tournaments throughout the year, it kind of just becomes, yeah, just two guys. Like, I can appreciate the athleticism and the skill that goes into it. But other than that, it's just two guys, you know, rolling around having a fake fight. All right. With that said, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back in a minute with Dan Levy. We'll, Mike and I will be back to update the book club, and then Rich Bocchini and I will talk before Mike. And I close the show with one last thing. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. All right. Our next guest is from New Jersey. And is an editor and writer for Billy Penn, one of the top, on top of Philly News. Uh, he comes on every year or so to check in, chat about sports media, reminisce about his old podcast, which is one of the greatest 
podcast of all time on the DL. Still miss it to this day. It's nice enough to join us for a bit today. A warm sportscasters welcome to Dan Levy. What's going on, Dan? All right, that got better as you got as you got going, but it started out as quite literally the worst introduction <laughs> ever. <laughs> Why? You're like, wait, no, hold on. Let me let me just read you back what you said. All right, our next guest. Uh, long pause. It's, <laughs> I was it's from New play. Jersey. Long pause. And then you like mention something that I do now, and then you're like, "Oh, by the way, he had a really good podcast." Here's okay, Dan. well, can you hear the music? That did you hear the music that time? No, I didn't. Okay, so that's part of it. The pauses I was pausing to like, right. a cool oh, part of the dramatic. music play. Yeah, right. so I was kind of going with the beats of the music, so I could see. I mean, hey, it might have still stunk. I, I'm not saying it didn't stink. <laughs> I'm just saying that maybe. I, I, yeah, I didn't realize there was you were like building to a dramatic thing there. I thought you were just like being like, oh, you know, this guy. No, somebody no. else fell through. Did they fall through? <laughs> who else? Who couldn't do it? That you're talking to me. No. Well, yeah. So the listeners know we have this weird Skype thing going on for for where for whatever reason uh, Dan can't hear the music that I'm playing, which is weird because it's coming from the same source my mouth is and. I'm sure, unfortunately for him, he can hear that. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know why. But yeah, so, okay, I'll take the hit. Like I said, I'm sure it, it stunk regardless. But uh, I was pausing because of the beats of the Iron Man theme. So. All right. Well, there you go. All right. How are you, Dan? It's been a bit. Uh, you, yeah. You know, I'm I'm good. Interested to want, honestly, like completely honestly, interested uh, to hear what you want to ask me, like I'm just wondering. You, you sent, you reached out the other day, and so, so look, just so people know, I mean, I did this for a real long time, right? Oftentimes, when you either bring somebody back on the show or when you uh, want to have somebody on, it's because of something. It's not just like you're sitting around saying, "Who can I talk to this week?" And it's like, "Oh, here's a guy I haven't talked to." Like I tweeted something or I wrote something, so I'm interested to know, like, what. How did I end up back in your brain space? Especially because I found out the other day that you actually unfollowed me on Twitter and and you just got back into the wonderful. Please don't ever do that if you're listening. Don't you don't have to follow me. Uh, Twitter following that I have. Well, I told Dan this is kind of funny because I've been reading the articles that you've been linking on Twitter. So I don't know how it was that Twitter said I wasn't following you, but it said that. So I re I reestablished the connection, but. You got back on my radar because of uh, the Carson Wentz piece uh, that you wrote, and I wrote your name down and said, oh, it's been a while since I've had Dan on, and I should reach out and see if he wants to do it again, because uh, Carson Wentz is interesting to me, and your work is interesting to me. I, I've been meaning to reach out for a while since you've been at Billy Penn, since I only learned about it uh, when you started there. So, And I really have no reason to read it. I'm not attached to philly in really any way but you went there and I've, I've followed you since on the dl so i've like i said clicked through to your links that you provide on twitter who i guess says i don't follow you but yeah that's weird well yeah. i appreciate it and yeah definitely for people who are saying billy penn it's like william penn the guy who's on the statue that used to be the tallest building in philadelphia um and probably still should be if not for the curse um so our site is called billy penn which is like a you know nickname for the guy and um a lot of people think because we're a site in philly it's philly pen but it's not it's actually billy um but we have more than one site uh, the company has a site here and in pittsburgh uh called the incline um and i do a lot of the sports for them as well so as 
Um, football training camp starts. I mean, this has been a great, a terrible as it's been over the last however many years for Philadelphia sports. It's actually been great for Pittsburgh with the Penguins doing what they've done. Yeah. Um, and obviously the Steelers getting one game away from getting to a Super Bowl. And I think, frankly, that they're good enough, and if Le'Veon Bell's situation works out, that they're going to go to the Super Bowl this year. Uh, so this is a pretty exciting time, so it's cool to have that. And then we have a third site in Denver, which I have a little bit less to do with, but hopefully more soon, um, called Denverite, which was a separate site that became part of our company, I want to say four or five months ago, maybe a little bit longer now. Uh, so it's cool. So we're spreading out, and it started as one site in Philadelphia, and now it's three, and hopefully within a couple of years it could be you know, in more towns. And, and I'm pretty excited to be able to write about Philly sports and talk about Philly sports, but also now branch out into these markets, especially Pittsburgh, that I grew up hating and now have to sort of pretend to like. So that's, that's an interesting challenge in and of itself. Well, I wrote Levia and Bell's name down because I want to come back to him. But one of the reasons actually I wanted to reach out is because I, had, I was thinking about you maybe last week or whatever, maybe the week before, when maybe maybe the news broke of – trying to think who it was. Someone getting hired on – oh, it was the Boston Sports Journal starting. And I know uh, Billy, sure. Billy Penn is different because it, there isn't a paywall, at least for your articles or the ones that I've read. Uh, but it, it made me think of you in the sense that you're writing, you're writing about sports to a target city. And it seems like, you know, all these national websites are pivoting from word to video that I don't know anyone who wants the video, but they think we do, I guess, or the advertisers want it, so they are. And the trend is becoming that people are saying, all right, we're going to regroup in the city we're in, we're going to charge three or four bucks, and we're going to provide this kick-ass regional-centric coverage. And it made me think of you because... I'm like, oh, Dan's doing that. It's just not in a pay, pay type way. It's a free site, right? Uh, and I was just curious to get your thoughts, as I'm sure someone who's a really keen observer is kind of looking at everything happening, and to get your opinion on on the landscape there. Yeah, I actually it was interesting because we sent that around um, when that came out, and when Greg has announced that he was doing that, like we, I sent that around to the people in the company because. We are not a paywall site. We will not be a paywall site. Um, but we have a lot of the same challenges that they're going to have, which is when you go local and when you have a company that we are essentially three separate local news sites as one company right now. So it's a larger company, but it's they're independent. Um, often for us, because of um, – we do. It's not just a sports site, by the way. We do a lot of city right. news and politics and things like that for people who might not know. It is not a sports site. I just do the sports for the site because, as many people know, sports is important in Philadelphia and it's important in a lot of cities, so it's part of the news. Um, but for us, because of politics, we're able to cross over quite a bit to our, our Pittsburgh um, site and a lot of this stuff that impacts people in Philadelphia also impacts people in Pittsburgh. But for all intent and purposes, we're, we're three separate houses that do totally different things. Um, so there's a challenge because when you go from national, I did a lot of national stuff, and you have an entire world. So you have an entire country. Who cares? And when you do a local site, already your audience is much smaller. And so if you get 100% of your target audience, which no one obviously does, it's still not that big of an audience. And so you have to sort of reassess your, um, the size of your staff. You have to reassess what you cover. 
Um, and part of why sites like ours are successful is because local newspapers try to be everything. They try to have enormous staffs. They try to have coverage of everything in the city um, and and then some into the suburbs and you know where advertisers want to be. And so it's difficult because there's an enormous amount of overhead, let alone having to actually print a publication, like actually put it on paper. And then you get a situation like last night, where I don't know when people are listening to this, but you know when when the healthcare thing came through at one forty-five or two o'clock in the morning, and your paper's obsolete because right. the newsstand can't have it. So it's a horrible business model, and that's why sites like ours uh, can thrive. National sites are going more toward video and more toward that because honestly, and I had this struggle too when I was at Bleacher Report or Sporting News. People are following on Twitter, people are following on Facebook, people are watching the events. Everything that you want to watch, you can watch on TV or online. So the, the, uh, the need for rewrites or for write-ups or game stories doesn't exist anymore. What you need is reaction. What you need is analysis. What you need is explanation and preview. And a lot of those can be done with video because people are on their phone. And people would rather watch a four-minute video or a two-minute, actually not a four-minute, but like a 90-second to two-minute video than read 1,500 words. And it's just the reality. Not everyone. I mean, we're still banking on people liking the written word, but a lot of those companies, like Vice and Bleach Report, did it before us when they before that when they fired all of us. They would rather go into video than go into you know actually hiring writers and editors and doing research and doing good stuff. I mean, that's just it's just honestly cheaper for them to do that, and they can get more bang and more viral for the buck. So local news, going back to your New England. Sports, uh, I don't know what the name is. Boston Sports, page. I forget Sports what the Journal. Boston Sports Journal. Boston Sports Journal, sorry. Um, that kind of stuff is vital because you're competing against uh, the newspapers, which have so much overhead, and their coverage is going to get cut down eventually, if not already. And you're competing against the national people who are, as you said, going more toward multimedia and video and worrying about Instagram as much as worrying about their website because they can just make money wherever. It's just on scale for them. So the people who are local and want news need local news, and they need local sites who are going to just care about their area or just care about their city. Um, the challenge is if there's three or four of them, and there are in Philadelphia, like how do you stand out from the other ones, and how do you give your audience the coverage they need and they deserve? And that's that's a daily challenge. I don't have an answer. Please don't ask me that question because okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I'll I'll just BS something yeah. through, but like, it's, <laughs> but it's the truth. Like, it's hard. It's hard to do, um, but. For them, they think a paywall is the way to go. It's easier to get people who respect your work to give you money. Um, the traditional model is they will give you money through your advertisers. They will frequent the restaurants and businesses that pay us money to put their uh, logo or their ad on our site. That's how the Internet has worked for 30 years uh, or 20 years. That's changing, and there's a, there, you know, there's a lot of businesses that are like, just give us the money directly, and then we can do what we want. We aren't going there, but uh, we are eager to get into a membership program for our sites, which is to say um, you'll get cool stuff that maybe regular readers won't get. I don't know if it'll be content. We're still trying to work out the details, and it's right. much higher than me. Some kind of premium. Um, premium. It could be free stuff. It could be access to, to local uh, events or local politicians. You could do uh, meet-and-greet type of things or Q&As, town halls that only our members might have access to. Um, or it might very well be like a coupon book where, honestly, like a lot of businesses love us, so they want to give our readers discounts because they like our readers. Our readers are cool, and they want cool people in their establishments. 
So guess what? Instead of costing eight bucks for a burger, it's going to cost you five because you read us and you're a member. That, 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 there's, there's ways to do that, and that's what we're actually doing right now, which is kind of exciting. Tons of stuff in there. I want to pull a couple out. I was thinking of, sure. my, I was thinking of my market when this has been happening because it's not just Boston. I think the Atlantic – is it called the Atlantic? Is that right? And I think they're in Detroit, and there's something happened in San Francisco with like Phil Taylor. I think is on that one from formerly of SI. Like I just noticed it happening in a lot of areas. Uh, and I thought about Buffalo, and it's like, oh, why would this work or not work here? And one thing I thought of that is a reason it would work is that a lot of the people that I know and love who really care about Buffalo sports, I'm, I only have half a leg in because I'm a big Sabres fan, but I, I I'm not a Bills fan. I, I'm actually a Saints fan. It's a long story, but it's all of the Sabres' fault. But uh, I was thinking that a reason people would do it, would would be interested in it here, in someone's site, if someone tried to do that here, is there's a lot of fatigue for the local media here, I think. Uh, There was kind of like a changeover where the legends uh, either passed away or retired. You know, the people that everyone grew up with that were in their homes – feel like that generation is gone here now and anyone who's left people are just kind of tired of them whether it's the one sports radio station or the one sports page the teams have been so bad 17 years without playoffs for the bills i think it's getting close close to 10 for the sabers maybe not that high but they've been awful too and no one no one's been able to write like anything that or talk about on a sports radio, anything that anyone's really had much joy in. It's been so much frustration and aggravation. And uh, something fresh, I think people might just jump to that because they do that here. Like whether it's a random backup quarterback, that people want that guy in the game because they just get fatigued of, of what is in front of them in our market. And I'm wondering in your market, because obviously you can't speak of Buffalo, why do you think it would or wouldn't work either specifically what you're doing or taking a step farther, like the Buffalo Sports Journal, or you can even speak generally why you think this will or won't work ultimately. Like, what's your expertise as you look out to the landscape? So there's a couple of, there's a couple of different things in there. Um, I think in terms – so it's different in terms of sports. I know you want to try and stick to sports as, as much as possible. But just, just in terms of sort of what our site does and why I was attracted to this, I'm actually really nervous when I started because – Going from working national sports for you know ten years or whatever to going local is, is very scary because you can only focus on a certain number of topics um, and all the other stuff we talked about. How it's like a smaller audience built in. Um, I actually think Buffalo and, and we've tried to you know Pittsburgh is our second site and we've talked about other cities um, for a model like us for local news and I don't know what Buffalo has but I, I think a model like we have would be great for Buffalo. Um, Pittsburgh and Buffalo seem pretty similar to me in terms of scope and size Very and sensibility. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, and it's working in Pittsburgh. It's really good, and especially the sports coverage has been great for us. I got a couple of national guys to um, to write for us and and you know focus on the local stuff, and it's been awesome. Um, and then the coverage is like Pittsburgh's just a quirky city, and Buffalo's got some quirks too mm-hmm. um, that you can explore and do. So I actually think from a local news standpoint, Buffalo would be a great city for a model like we have here. I think from sports only. It might be difficult, and the reason is, and, and to be candid, some of our coverage here in Philly has has been difficult for me because there are a lot of our of existing voices. There is legacy media here, and people still go to Philly.com to read what happened yesterday or whatever. It's hard. Like right. Philly Mag, Philadelphia Magazine 
had the best basketball writer in the city, Derek Bodner, and the best the best football sort of secondary publication, which was Bleeding Green Nation. Some of those guys, they they pulled a couple. Of, no, not Bleeding Green Nation. Excuse me. Um, what the heck was it called? Moving the chains, maybe. Sorry, um, Bleeding Green Nation. I think is the SB Nation book, and and they had a couple of guys, and those guys went on to big jobs. Like one of the guys went and covered he covered Seahawks. Now another guy went on to do national stuff for ESPN. They've done big. They've done big things. Philly Mag cut all of them last year. Just mm-hmm. got rid of them. Got rid of their entire sports coverage because they couldn't make any money off of it. Because people still listen to the sports talk radio stations and still read the paper, quote unquote. And it's frustrating because you want to. You want to tap into that audience. Um, here has been fascinating because it's been a downturn for most of the teams, but there's excitement because look at the Sixers, for example. Like The Sixers are huge in Philly. They're the worst team maybe in the history of basketball over the last three seasons, but they are the biggest story here because people saw what was coming, and it's like buying a stock low, and you want to just ride it out, and people are going to ride this thing out for five to ten years. So if you got on at the beginning, and a couple of blogs and podcasts really did three, four, five years ago, um, They've been riding it like crazy. I talked about it nationally. If you listen to my show on SiriusXM, I used to talk about Sixers all the time. And everyone's like, why do you care about the Sixers so much? They stink. I'm like, watch. Watch in two years. When I got hired here in Philly, half of my interview, I was like, the Sixers are going to be huge. And I'm so happy to be right because it's fun to cover. That's what Buffalo is missing right now. You can be bad, but you can be bad and, and see a future and be bad and see that it could eventually get good. I don't know if the Bills have that. I know that um, this week, um, what's, who's the big receiver they have there? Um, Watkins. God. Sammy Watkins. Yeah, yeah. It says, thank you. said uh, he wants to be a Bill for life. And I'm like, that's a stupid thing to say. Like, God bless Jim Kelly and, and all those years that they were great. But, like, that's a really dumb thing to say. Sammy Watkins is one of the best young receivers in the league. Could you imagine? Just take the sports out of it for a second. And just think of any job. Like, say you're in tech, and you get a pretty good job in, like, a small market. And you're like, well, what's my end game here? Am I going to go to Silicon Valley? Am I going to go to New York City? Am I going to go to L.A.? Where, where am I going to go? I'm the, one of the best in this profession. Like, no, I'm going to hang out in Buffalo. I'm going to hang out in Cleveland. Well, I think like, you, no, don't, you, have... you don't realize what a comfortable life people have here. Like, no, and I'm not ripping the city. I don't want to come off as I'm ripping the city. Like, you can put Philadelphia in there, too. Like, any, any city. It's just funny how, like... He could be the best receiver in football in five years. The Buffalo Bills have shown him nothing in terms of like a future success in their division, let alone getting to the playoffs, let alone getting to the Super Bowl. And because he got picked by them and drafted to, he didn't even choose that. He was selected by Buffalo to go play there. He has, and it's amazing in sports, he has developed this allegiance to your city. And God bless him for it. Like It's awesome. People in Philly love Philly when they come and get drafted here. But like in other jobs, it never really happens like that. You know, like you, you, you settle into a city and you find a niche, and maybe that's what he's done. But it's really just hilarious. Like, oh, the Dallas Cowboys, the, the, mo- the richest and most famous you know, franchise in your sport in the world, want you to play for them. Like, nah, I'm good <laughs> with the Browns. Like, I, I see good things coming here for Cleveland. Like, what are you, nuts? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I uh, look at that part differently just because – I've never wanted to leave here. I've, and then it, athletes, it's not just. But you're Bills. from there. Yeah, you're from there. But Bills it's and different. Sabers come here and never leave. Random, yeah, ho- random guess- hockey players come here and stay there. Like Marcel Dion, who was one of the best hockey players of the '70s and '80s, 
He lives here. I have no idea why. He moved here when his career was over. Hockey. And play- I, look, I don't want. I don't want people to think I'm ripping your city. In no, I know like, you're not. I, it, no. It's just any city. Like you right. can fill in the blank city, and it's just hilarious. Like you're a multi-millionaire already. You're one of the best. It's just funny that like you. I, I guess the reason I bring it up is not even to rip the city. It's to rip the team. To rip the success. You're bringing up like the city. People say, and I get that. You're like there are Phillies who come back and retire and live in Philadelphia. Connor Barwin, who got cut last year by the by the Eagles. Um, and now I, it's with the Rams, he was here. A week, he lives in Fishtown. Like he lives like around the corner from yeah. some of the people who work in my office. So I get that. Like I totally get. You spend three, four, five years in a town, and you find your pocket and you find your niche. I'm just thinking about it from like a team success standpoint. The ultimate goal is to win a Super Bowl. Sure. If you're Sammy Watkins, like to to say like Buffalo is the place I want to spend my career. It's like what? And to your point about the success, that what have they shown? Well, they haven't even you been have to the been playoffs. There? They haven't even been to the playoffs in 17 years. That's what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. what have what what has like, and I, and so it's weird that you get like this hubris as an athlete. It's like I'm going to be the difference maker. And and look, I, I went through when I worked at Rutgers. The women's basketball program had done nothing. Connecticut won all the uh, you know everything. And and Vivian Stringer, God bless her, I worked with that team when I was in sports information. She convinced a bunch of kids to come and be that first class, and they ended up going to a Final Four a couple right. years later. They didn't win it, but and so it can happen. But in the NFL, when you get to like choose where you go and actually like get paid millions of dollars by anyone, it's just interesting that it, a guy that talented is like, I'm going to be here forever. I'm never leaving this town. I don't care if we win nothing. I mean, obviously he thinks he will, but man. Yeah, the Bills, you're right about. The Sabres are very much like the, uh, like the 76ers, a trust-the-process kind of a team, a team that bottomed out, literally tanked a season to get McDavid or Eichel, ended up getting Eichel, uh, and – you know, are now trying to figure out how, all right, we have this 20-year-old superstar. You know, how do we now, you know, win with, with him? How do we how do we get the other parts? And they're on GM number two who's trying to figure it out. So we as, yeah, I was going to say, I think you wish at this point, and maybe it'll turn yeah. out all right, but you wish you had the other kid. <laughs> the other kid looks awesome. Well, Your kid looks pretty good. Uh, yeah, McDavid is awesome. But I, I very much still do think it'll be a Crosby-Ovechkin thing. They're gonna get Crosby, and we got Ovechkin. So I don't know. You know, they were they were uh, one. Two. How many titles Ovechkin win? I forget. Yeah, no, he hasn't won any. He hasn't won any. <laughs> but he's. I mean, look, he's won. You know, like, MVPs and I also like could have said. I also could have said Ovechkin, Malkin, who were one and two in a draft one year. You know, and and a lot of people would probably say Ovechkin is the better player, but Malkin has won the cups. Uh, so you, well, you and, and to be fair, yeah. and if you want to keep going down that, because I cover Pittsburgh sports now, and it's yeah. been very difficult for me as someone in Philadelphia to actually have to cover the the Penguins winning a, a championship. Um, the the Malkin thing is, is is very interesting because he's great. He is he's very good. Yeah, a phenomenal player, but he wasn't listed in the. He's Scottie Pippen basically. He wasn't listed in the top one hundred, although Pippen was in the top fifty when they did that years ago, because. He's overlooked because he plays with Sidney Crosby. Having said that, he wouldn't have those cuffs if not for Crosby. I mean, they, they might have been a good team, but clearly the best player on the planet on your team is going to make you better. So even though Crosby was hurt one of those years and came back, and this year he missed a game in the playoffs and they won without him, but it's it's amazing um, how Malkin is one of those players who is somehow simultaneously both under and overrated sometimes. Yeah, I thought Malkin should have easily won the Conn Smythe this year and, again, right. overlooked. Crosby wins it instead. Uh, I don't think there was anything else Malkin could have done. He had points, but he's not Ovechkin. I mean, I, I think I, the, the the Crosby Ovechkin thing is 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 maybe 
although on a smaller scale, is the and, and is the Messi Ronaldo. The difference is, okay, you know, yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo yep. has won a million things. I mean, and you know, and, and Ovechkin has no, has won nothing, um, and Ronaldo keeps winning everything. Um, there's a point now where Ronaldo is actually winning more than Messi. So that 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 to me, like, this is a great time in sports. We don't have it so much in golf right now. Although Jordan Spieth, you know, he doesn't really have Rory McIlroy. They're not at the same time hot, um, but they would be the big two names. And in tennis, we had it, and now it's over. But it's there's still some remnants of either Federer because he's winning and Nadal, and then you got Djokovic in there. Well, he fell off. So it's it's fun to have those. Um, basketball has it now, like you can't believe with LeBron and and Durant and and Curry and stuff. Um, so this is a wonderful time. But if you're one of those cities like Buffalo, like Philadelphia, that doesn't have that, that doesn't have that star player, what do you do? And that's where to go full circle on this part. Like Philly has hope now. They have Ben Simmons, they have Joel Embiid, they have Markel Fultz, who I think is going to be a very, very good role player. I don't think he's the star that the other two are going to end up being, um, but I could be wrong. But you have that hope here. In, you, for the Eagles, Like they have Carson Wentz. They think that there's hope there, um, which is very interesting. I think it's an important year for him. I don't, you know, you have that with Eichel up there. But, like, what do the Bills have? They have a really good wide receiver who right. says he wants to stay forever. Yeah, <laughs> that's they what have they Rockins. have. Yep, that's all they have right now. Uh, you got Shady McCoy. I mean, you got a decent offense, but, like, oh, the yeah. Rex Ryan era set them back forever. I mean, he's the worst. And, like, I told you that, I think, right? Didn't we talk yeah, about that before? We did, yeah. He yeah. is the worst. Yep. Yeah, no, they have other really good players. Just, I think that what we were, ta- like, what we were talking about, you know, maybe players who can be remembered as all-time greats in the city like shady mccoy just has too many miles on him to ever be that guy here you know he'll never be thurman thomas here just because came too late in his career we're burning 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 time so i want to get a couple of real quick things and we're talking to dan levy from billypen.com you can find him on twitter at dan levy thanks l-e-v-y thanks uh, i was reading your carson wentz article and thinking about him and how strong he started last year how excited everyone got in Philadelphia and Eagles fans across the country. Cause I think with football, maybe more than other sport, just pockets of fans of every team. It seems like just spread out everywhere. Uh, sure. But tell me about this season for once this year. And uh, when you look at it with quarterback, with that second year NFL quarterbacks, ones who've shown their shown how great their upside can be. And maybe even shown the other side of the coin uh how dangerously close the line is to being successful or unsuccessful in that position in the league what do you think Wentz has to do this year what what's most important for him do you think yeah I I mean the thing I wrote last week was essentially nobody outside of Philly has any faith in him um playing on the faith thing because if you know Carson Wentz he's a very religious and faithful person um and no one else outside of Philly seems to rate him highly at all. If you look at all the rankings, not just fantasy rankings, but like the here are the best quarterbacks in the league. He's like in the twenties. I think yeah. the highest I think I saw him was like seventeen, which is worse than the the middle of the pack. And so it's interesting to me because here he's something of a savior. Like we finally got our franchise quarterback. Well, if the seventeenth best quarterback in the league is a franchise quarterback, then there are more franchise quarterbacks than I've seen. Because I don't think that there are sixteen other guys who you would consider franchise quarterbacks. Maybe. You hope Marcus Mariota, things like that. You hope those guys in those markets are franchise guys. Um, but that's the problem with the NFL right now is that there aren't enough good quarterbacks. And so the Eagles did what they did to get Wentz. He started out gangbusters, like you said, and then he leveled off. They lost, they lost nine games last year. 
seven of them were by one score. Now, that's not all Wentz's fault, but in the last 12 games of the season, I think he threw, I'm doing this off the top of my head, I think he threw seven touchdowns and 13 picks. And he started out the year with three, you know, with three games without a turnover. I think he went four games and he had one. And then it fell apart. Now, is it happy feet? Probably. The offensive line got hurt. Is it bad receivers? Absolutely. They were terrible last year and they kept dropping the ball. Um, but it doesn't make sense that his quarterback rating is like 113 in the third quarter and 78 in the fourth. Yes, yeah, I got it right it here, 101.8 in the third and 69.2 in the fourth. Yeah, so I was close. Yep, uh, I, I actually right gave there. him too much on both. Um, <laughs> you know, he had like he had like an under fifty percent completion percentage in the red zone, and and so that's dreadful. And again, that's where a guy has to learn. And he benefited from getting to play his rookie year. A lot of guys sit. He benefited from that, but his year was good last year as a rookie. He needs to not have a good rookie year. He needs to have a good. Dak Prescott had a good year. Carson Wentz had a good rookie year. And so this year, if you want to win the division, you have to go up against Dak Prescott twice. You have to you know, beat Kirk Cousins for what it's worth, Eli Manning. You need to be better than them. He was drafted to be better than them. And so there's a lot of pressure on him this year. Now Dak Prescott gets to turn around and hand it to Ezekiel Elliott. And he has Des Bryant on the outside. Who, who, are the, who does Wentz have? What are the weapons they've surrounded him with? Is there anyone you're more excited about than I would be looking at it from afar? Yeah, I mean, they had nobody last year. Jordan Matthews had an up-and-down year. And, um, and now he's hurt, right? Nah, he's okay. He he's practiced okay. today. Um, right. Yeah, he seems, he seems like he'll be okay. Um, but Nelson Aguilar was a first-round pick. and is an absolute bust. Um, he might not even be a factor at all this year. They brought in uh, Alshon Jeffrey from Chicago, who has not been super healthy over two seasons, but when he is on the field, he's, you know, I would think a top 10, maybe yeah, top beast. 15 receiver. Yeah, he's a beast. Um, and and that's what they needed. They needed a guy who can go up and get these jump balls. If the ball's not perfect right in your hands, he can grab it and he can beat out a defensive back. Uh, Torrey Smith had two terrible years under Chip Kelly in San Francisco, but he was good before, not great, but good in Baltimore. But he can stretch the field. And so when you have an offense that you want to dink and dunk and get the ball to Darren Sproles and, and get the ball in space, you need a guy who can actually keep your cornerbacks honest. So at the very least, Smith's going to be able to stretch the field for you. Uh, and then you have Matthews in the slot still. They... Um, have pretty good tight ends, and they brought in Legarrette Blunt, which I am very happy with from uh, you know someone who covers the team because Blunt has what he just won a Super Bowl, and he's he could be that piece. He could be the red zone difference for them, where they don't have to throw it on first and, and goal at the three yard line. They can just hand it to a giant guy who scores touchdowns and let him be a giant guy who scores touchdowns. And so I think that he he was the smart play. It's a one year deal for a lot of those guys. Um, and the defense is very good, and now the offense has better skill position players, and they have that bruising running back, so you can get uh, the kid Pumphrey that they just drafted and Sproles out in space right. and give it, to, give it to Blunt when you need a, a yard. They never had a guy, it was, it was Ryan Matthews, who would you know, fumble the ball or, or not be able to get the yard, and, and now you have a guy who has at least done it before. Um, so he's got better weapons, Wentz does, and he's just got to be the one to step up. Yeah, and Blunt is very good at the job you're describing. Uh... You know, seems like he never falls down until three yards have passed. He might not get the five, but it seems like you always get your four. Uh, he's very, very effective at that, at least he was in New England. Right, and that's the one concern, and I brought this up the other day. You know, Bill Belichick doesn't get rid of useful players. Uh, and so the concern that you have, and there's a money issue, but the concern that you have is if Bill Belichick doesn't think that LeGarrette Blunt is useful anymore, is he? And in Philadelphia, they certainly hope that he is, but it's difficult sometimes because you want to make sure 
um, that you didn't get. It's a one-year deal. It's not or two-year. It's not. It's nothing. It's not a big deal at all. But you you, you want to make sure that you're not relying on a guy who can't perform. So do you want to make a prediction in the sense of if we're having this discussion next year at this time, do we think Wentz has made a step forward towards being a franchise quarterback that we described earlier or a step backwards in that regard? I've explained um, how I see it, and I am no you know quarterback guru, so I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. But the way I explained him, um, I think his ceiling is Matt Ryan. Uh, and I said that before Matt Ryan got to the Super Bowl and won the MVP, and I'm going to stick with that. Okay. So... Matt Ryan is a very good quarterback who has a ton of amazing weapons around him. And when he has amazing weapons, he's shown he can get them the ball and he can lead an offense. When everything clicks for him, he's good enough to win the MVP and good enough to get his team to the Super Bowl. So I think that about Wentz. I think he will eventually be good enough to get his team to win divisions, potentially win the Super Bowl. I actually think he could theoretically win an MVP. But most years... Matt Ryan has been like a top 10, 12 quarterback. No one thinks of Matt Ryan as Aaron Rodgers. Now, maybe he's come into his own and finally he'll be that. You know, I don't think he'll ever be Tom Brady. But he might be a 3-4 MVP guy if, if everything clicks in, in uh, Atlanta for the next couple of years. I don't know if Wentz can do that, but I think he can be that good once or twice in his career. And the rest of him, he's a good quarterback. I don't think you have to worry about him. I don't think he's going to be a bust. But I don't know if he is... Aaron Rodgers, and I think that's when you trade up for a guy and you, and you you know put a lot of your franchise on a guy's shoulders. You want him to be the next Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not sure he is. Answer these next couple real quick, ten words or less. We won't have more time than that. In the next twelve okay. months, what do you think the best or the biggest Philadelphia sports story that you'll cover will be? Uh, it's the Sixers, without question. The There's no doubt. It's it's the Sixers. And what do you think the biggest sports media issue is going to be over the, the next twelve months? In Philly or in the country? Give me both. Well, I think in Philly, Philly.com is apparently going to a paywall um, soon. So says the word. And that'll be very interesting to see how the coverage, not just for sports, but for news in general in Philadelphia, shifts because people aren't going to do it. I don't think people will pay. Some people will, sure. Um, and they'll give the subscription people you know, free access and whatnot. But it's going to be very interesting to see how their coverage suffers and who steps up. And we hope we're in a, in a good position to do that here. Um, nationally, I don't think enough has been made about the Fox Sports debacle. Uh, I think when ESPN laid off however many people, it was the end of the world. And then Fox Sports, you know, fired Mark Pesavento, and then a couple weeks later fired a bunch of other, you know, dozens of other people. And now they're just doing rewrites of what Skip Bayless and, Chan- and uh, Sterling- Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp say on on TV, and it's embarrassing. Their website is useless now, and I don't think enough has been made nationally of that trend. The concern is what, who else is going to do that next. Is NBC going to do it? Because nobody really goes to their sites either. Pro Football Talk. But like other than that, nobody really goes to those sites. So I wonder how that's going to work. TV used to, and local TV does that too. Local TV news, all it is is just rewrites of their, of their stories that they put video. And I'm, I'm a little nervous of that because, I don't know, the written word is still pretty cool to me. Very last thing, and I know you can only probably say so much because superheroes are more private than athletes but are there is iron max does he have any missions is there anything he's doing in terms of his work with saving the world and being an all-around kick-ass superhero that you can share or is it just real private you don't want to tip the bad guys off <laughs> i appreciate that for, for everyone listening who has no idea what you're talking about my son uh, is in a, an issue of marvel um he's an invincible iron man tony stark comes and visits kids in the hospital and then max actually ends up getting into one of the suits um when they changed over all the iron man stuff and now right now it's a young girl she's a teenage girl 
who is in the Iron Man suit. Max was actually mad. He was oh. like mad at Marvel that they didn't make it him. I was like, dude, they're not making a seven-year-old boy Iron Man. He's like, why not? I was like, because it's like past your bedtime when all the fights happen. <laughs> um, but he's doing good. We, um, we have a charity that we run, and that's doing pretty well. We have a big conference coming up uh, for hemophilia in um, August. If anyone out there in Chicago is listening in late August, hit us up because we'll be out there for, um, for that, and so it's fun. We're doing a lot of cool things, and I'm, I'm reaching out to some other comic writers. I have a couple of ideas that we might try and get to work, so uh, I will definitely promote that on Twitter and other places uh, if, it, if it pans out. And, of course, it's at Dan Levy, L-E-V-Y, thanks, uh, BillyPen.com. You can email Dan there, and the email address is on his page with all his articles where he uh, that he writes. I've been a fan since on the DL. I still force myself to read stuff. About Philadelphia, I might not care about that much just because I like to follow your career and read your words, and uh, I appreciate the time today. I really do. Sorry if it was no, more minutes that I awesome. asked for. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Thanks for doing that. I, I really appreciate asking. Anything else you want to uh, plug? Anything no, else? honestly. I mean, uh, for people close to you and people around the country, like the Steelers are more interesting. So don't don't fly it on the incline. It's just theincline.com. Um, it, we do some pretty cool stuff. We have DJ Gallo, who does the Sports Pickle, who writes for us, and I Dave Lozo DJ does a lot of the hockey stuff. Yeah, so there's a lot, of, a lot of really cool stuff going on there, too. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. All right, thank you. All right, I want to thank Dan Levy for being on the show today. Always appreciate Dan's time. Uh, really glad we got to do that today. Uh, book club update. So it's book club book of the year time. Uh, and to repeat, we started when we started the book club uh, the first year. We did it so we could get guests. We realized that people were more likely to come on the show if they had something to promote, and especially a book, which is something that inherently needs a lot of promotion. And we thought, wow, a really good way to get this ca- guy to come on twice would be to say that he won an award because of promoting the book. Uh, on the show. So we created the Book Club Book of the Year. Uh, the first winner was Sweetness by Jeff Perlman. Uh, the second winner was Jack McCollum's Dream Team, which is still one of my all-time favorite books I've read. we've read during the book club. Uh, the Squared Circle by David Shoemaker won the third year. Console Wars by Blake J. Harris won year four. And last year, The Best Team Money Can Buy by Molly Knight won. Last time we were together, we announced the seven finalists, and I'll go over them real quickly. The Cubs Way by Tom Verducci. I Was There by Eric Merlis. Playing Through the Whistle by S.L. Price. Gunslinger by Jeff Perlman. Belichick and Brady by Michael Holly. I Know That Voice Anywhere by Frank DeFord. And Lucky Bastard by Joe Buck. And I said today we would trim this down to four. Have you read any of these books, Mike? I have not yet actually been able to read those books. I want to read Sweetness. Uh, I know I told you my dad's from Chicago, so reading something about Walter Payton. Yeah, that's really, definitely that's really good. Really good book. Highest recommendation for sure. I think it's Jeff Perlin's best book. All right, so I'm going to chop this down. I Was There by Eric Merlis is the first cut. It'll finish seventh this year. Really, really glad that Eric was nice enough to join us. Great idea for a book. Uh, people talking about the biggest moments of sports from their perspective, being in the building. Really cool idea. Definitely something that I'm sure we'll have a volume two and a volume three. Uh, Belichick and Brady by Michael Holly, sixth. Cut that out. Good book, but I do live in Buffalo, and people I care about would kill me if that won. 
And I know that voice anywhere by Frank DeFord will be fifth. Rest in peace, Mr. DeFord. Uh, but the book is simply a reproduction of pieces he did on NPR. Uh, so almost included it because he passed away and wanted to honor Frank DeFord, who was on this podcast way back when, when he was promoting his, old, his memoir over time. So rest in peace, Mr. DeFord. That leaves us with four books. The Cubs Way by Verducci, Playing Through the Whistle by Sal Price. Gunslinger by Jeff Perlman and Lucky Bastard by Joe Buck. Next week, uh, we will cut two more and be down to the final two. Uh, we have a new book to talk about as well, starting the next cycle of the book club. And it's a memoir by Steve Russian uh, from SI. It's called Stingray Ap- Afternoons. It's his memoir. Uh, Mr. Russian has been on several times. I spoke to him this week. Uh, excited to promote the book for him. It's available now on Amazon and, of course, in digital formats. Uh, so I encourage you to get the book. And we're going to get started talking about Stingray Afternoons uh, as we go along. I'm waiting. My copy should be here any day, and I'll get into it. And uh, on next week's show, we'll talk more about it. But we are down to four books in the book club. And we are going to take a break and come back with Rich Bocchini. All right, our next guest is from Rhode Island and is a graduate of Rhode Island College. He spent the first half of his career uh, calling professional hockey in Connecticut and in the AHL before transitioning to wrestling, uh, where he worked for the WWE, for SmackDown, and as the lead play-by-play man at NXT. He has transitioned to the podcast world, where he works at MLW, with a great new podcast with J.J. Dillon. He's making his first appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Rich Bocchini. What's going on, Rich? Hey, Steve. Thanks for getting my name right, too. I appreciate that. I listened to your partner on the MLW show say it like 30 times and then took my best <laughs> shot. <laughs> appreciate it, man. That's that's It's butchered uh, all the time. I'm used to it. But uh, when somebody gets it right, that's like extra points in your uh, in your bucket, I guess. I feel like it's the least I could do since I asked you to be here today. Let's get your name right. It does feel like a fundamental. Uh... Oh, you know what? It's not. It's not a common name like Smith or something like that. So it's 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 all good. But you're a good Italian boy from the uh, Northeast. That's it. Yep. So we have that in common. I just uh, had the 50% Italian family and then the 50% not Italian family. Same way. Same way here. Yep. So uh, anyway, uh, when I was a boy. Say from zero to, well, let's see, I'm 36 now. Uh, I only really cared about two things, wrestling and hockey. That was really it. That was really the only two things that mattered to me, especially when I was really young. Right. Uh, it's the reason I hate the Bills living in Buffalo. is because all they ever did was interfere with the Sabres, and I just couldn't stand it. You know, I couldn't understand why my dad wanted to watch a regular season game against the Dolphins on television instead of listening to a Sabres preseason game against Minnesota on the radio. <laughs> Is that, uh, would yeah. that have been the North Stars or the uh, Yeah, they were the, the North Wild. Stars. They were the North Stars. And it was All a right. really famous Bills game because they had a wide receiver break his leg 
And I remember like walking out, Jerry Butler, the wide receiver, I remember walking out into the living room and the whole thing was going on with him breaking his leg and making like a sarcastic comment about that's what he gets, you know. It's a <laughs> I think I was five, maybe six, something like that, but I was pissed that nobody man. wanted to listen to the Sabres preseason game on the radio. Which Man, oh man. Yeah. You know, you know, I I I gotta give it to you because I I go back, um, you know, you're a Sabres fan. I grew up a Bruins fan. I, I still remember May Day. And, I was uh, there. That's the, you were at the game? Yeah, my dad and I were there. Uh, Standing room only I'll, in the odd, the old odd. Uh, I'll never forget I'll never forget watching that game. I remember I remember who I was with, where I was, and I remember watching that and we just kinda we just kinda quietly looked at each other and quietly turned off the T V and didn't say anything and off we went and did our own thing. It was kinda like Let's not talk about it. Yeah, it was essentially the first time the Sabres won a round in my lifetime. They had won a couple rounds when I was like one or two, but that was basically the first time they ever won a round. It was it added yeah. a long playoff round drought. And I remember it was my first communion either the weekend before or the weekend after, so that's why we got to go. It's kind of a last-minute decision. It was back in the day. It was at the old arena, which had the standing room, which was always like, made for last minute decisions so we just kind of walked up at six o'clock and bought like a ten dollar standing room ticket and walked in like it wasn't you know an elimination game in the playoffs which you couldn't do today would be dealing with scalpers and second hand i don't even think we have that i always i always wanted to go to the odd i never get a chance to go there Um, very cool place i saw cool concerts there yeah i I, I remember i remember growing up watching you know obviously there was the boston garden for for me but i always thought the garden was cool the chicago stadium um, Maple Leaf Gardens, the Forum, and then the Odd in Buffalo. It was one of those places that I wanted to get to, and uh, they opened up the new place before I had a chance to go. Yeah, I was actually thinking about it the other day. The new place has been there since 96 already, which I mean, yeah. I think that means it's getting old, which makes me nervous because I always time feel for, like, Time for a new one. Yeah, we can't. I don't think we can afford to build anything here, although we do have one of the richest owners in the league now. We kind of have to shift our uh, poor mentality away from you know poor old Buffalo to realizing we have a... A very rich owner now. Right. Um, but, yeah, we went up and got standing room only. And I, another thing I remember is that the Bruins had a big lead going into the third period. And yeah. I remember walking around. We were obviously in the upper level, which is called the Oranges because they were orange seats uh, in the upper level. And I remember walking around, and there were some Bruins fans. Um, and they just had a look on their face like, this team will not beat us in this series if we win this game. Remember, there was just that feeling in the whole building. Like I said, they hadn't won a receivers hadn't won a round in years, so it didn't really matter that it was uh, three to nothing to us. We still were expecting probably to lose. No, uh, yeah, and then they they made a big comeback. I think Mogilny scored a big goal. That was his seventy six goal year. He scored a big yep. goal in the third, and I made May scores the goal, but I mean. Pat LaFontaine made that play in the neutral zone, made this unbelievable pass from his knees to May. Uh, and then I think also lost in the fact that that was Ray Bork that Brad May walked in the neutral zone there. I think it was. I yeah, don't was know how often Ray Bork got walked, but probably very, not very often. Very, very rarely. Very, very rarely watching Bork grow up did you see him make a mistake, especially a mistake like that. But, um, I mean, you, you know, as a Bruins fan, you kind of knew going in. You, you had hope that they'd turn it around, but you knew. They were down 3 nothing. It was just kind of like... Like, come on, boys. We're not going to get swept, right? right. <laughs> they went in and then they blew it. And then the Sabres, yeah, got, yeah. Sabres got swept by the Canadians the next round, with every game being 4-3. Um, and that was when uh, Patrick Waugh won 10 straight OT games to win them the Cup. Yep. They won 10 overtime games in a row. 
to win the cup. And I think two or three of them were in the Buffalo series. And in one of the games, Mogilny broke his leg. And when Mogilny broke his leg, everybody knew that Sabres were not not winning that series. So yeah, Montreal, that Montreal's I, I, year. Yeah, I, I just I just remember Montreal being so strong back then. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, obviously Patrick Waugh doing doing what he did. I mean, he was. You know, he was unbeatable back at that, you know, 92, 90. You, you go back through that era, and he was, I mean, he was at the top of his game then. Now, when the, when the uh, Bruins won their last cup, were you able to enjoy it? I mean, obviously, we're not kids anymore. You're well into a career. You've worked in pro hockey. And at that time, I'm trying to think, was that 2011 that they won it? Uh, 2010. Um, with well, the playoffs being in 2000, no, it was 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was in Houston at that point. I was the PR guy for for the Arrows in Houston, and that's the year that we went to the Calder Cup Finals. Wow, um, nice year. Yep, and we we had lost to Binghamton. I want to say a day or two before the Bruins won, and I, and I remember. You know, home, and it was one of the first games that I actually had a chance to just sit down and watch because more AHL playoff like for the most part it's every other day. It's kind of like the NHL; it's every other day, so you'd keep up with it. But you're so wrapped up in what you're doing. Um, it's it, I mean, it's just a, a real busy schedule. So I, I, it was one of the first games. There may have been a couple of others when we had an off day or something, but I remember sitting there watching that game and. When it became obvious that they were going to win, I remember just at, at the end of it kind of standing up and getting excited, even though at this point I'm still getting paid by the Minnesota Wild, working for the Wild, right? Um, or working for the Arrows, you know, owned by the Wild. Um, but when they won, it was kind of like a, it was it, it, it was hard to describe. It, it just brought up a lot of emotions from, you know, not only having the team that I was with make it to the, to the finals and lose, which was a very disappointing thing, um... But then it just it brought me back to going to going to games at the garden with my dad and um, growing up. You know, I remember in high school watching Bruins games at night and Channel Thirty Eight in Boston with Fred Cusick and Derek Sanderson, and that that was a big that was a big part of growing up for me. And um, love the old garden still. What a building! I have seats from from Boston Garden back at my parents' house that uh, I actually need to I actually need to bring to to Orlando where I live. Um, so it it was it was emotional. Probably not as emotional had I not um, if I wasn't working for another team. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you kind of I don't want to say you become l- less of a but it, you know. But if I was if I was in full on fan mode, like first of all, I probably would have found a way to get to Boston. Um, and I remember talking to friends like, "Hey, maybe I can catch a flight and we can watch the game together." And it just didn't the timing just didn't work out. Um, but it was still it was still an emotional thing. And I remember looking at my wife and I. I had tears in my eyes, and I, I was like, I never thought that I would see the day that the that the Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup. And I, I remember Emmerich saying it, you know, the Boston, whatever he said. And it was, I just kind of sat down on the couch, just like a look of shock on my face, like, oh my god, I never, like, I legit, I never thought I'd see the Bruins win the cup. Well, that big hit, I think, in Game Three or Four, kind of turned that series around. Maybe it was even Game Five. I can't remember what game the big hit was in the neutral zone. Totally changed that series for into the Bruins' favor, kind of swung the momentum. I was just looking. You had an 80-game regular season and a 24-game run in the Calder Cup playoffs. What is it mm-hmm. like as a play-by-play guy? What's the what's a playoff grind that goes that deep? Like I think we've seen it so much during the for players. And actually, on this show, we've talked to Kenny Albert a little bit about a spring grind 
Uh, we had him in here uh, two springs ago, I think, where he was working Rangers playoff games when they made their run to the Cup, but also on non-Ranger days doing NBC Sports Network games as well. And I think he even had a baseball game mixed in there on a Saturday afternoon. He probably did. Um, I, I wasn't the play-by-play guy in Houston. I was okay. just a PR. Just PR, uh, I okay. Was, I was just a lowly PR guy. I'd I'd fill in for uh, Joe O'Donnell was the radio guy in Houston, so I'd I'd fill in for him um, here and there, but not not very often. It was kind of put to me, you know. I, I knew the team that I was with in South Texas in the Central League. I, I knew the Central League didn't have much life left because we had lost Austin, we had lost uh, Laredo, um, and I you know I knew it was a matter of time until you know court like Corpus was either going to fold or move to another league, which they did to the North American League, to junior. So it was it was pretty clear what was happening. So it was like, I had an awesome five-year run down in the Rio Grande Valley, had a lot of fun, um, but I knew that it was time to to get out of there. Um, and, the, and the Houston thing, the, the, the timing worked out, and I figured, you know, maybe maybe being the PR guy is my path to, to the NHL. Um, but regardless, for radio guy or, or PR guy, Again, you have a game pretty much every other day. Mm-hmm. The, pr- the pressure's on, and every round you advance, the pressure's even more, and the expectations are even more, and everybody's a little more high-strung. Um, you try to do what you can to help out the coaches. They want their their game notes or their, or their news clips or whatever, at, you know, whatever god-awful time in the morning. So you're up, and you're you know you're 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 just trying to pace yourself to to get everybody what they want. Um, and just try to be as helpful as, as you can. I remember in, in, in that run, uh, I didn't go on the road. I want to say the first two rounds or the first three rounds. And there was one round in particular where our equipment guy brought his assistant with him. And like the first two rounds or something, the assistant equipment guy stayed back in Houston uh, to kind of help out with the Black Aces. Well, this particular trip, they brought the equipment guy with them. So they asked me, I guess I was one of the few people that, that they trusted. They said, hey, can you kind of take over equipment manager duties and i was like oh hold on i have no idea what i'm doing sharpening skates like no no don't worry about that we got a guy that's going to stop by in the morning and do that can you just take care of the locker room take care of the laundry hang the jerseys do that kind of stuff and i was like sure no problem at all so i did that and when they came back I actually had to drive the equipment truck uh to bush airport which was kind of neat because you know they knew they knew that i was coming and you had a pass and you pull up to the security gate and you come in basically i was following a you know, if it was an airport police vehicle or whatever, but literally, right. I'm driving on the driving on the tarmac up to the up to the United 737 or whatever it was, and I'm pulling gear off of the off of the conveyor belt. How many people get? So that's just kind of a cool thing. Like, oh, I'm tooling around the airport in the equipment truck. That was kind of neat. What was the Houston media and the city like? Did they respond to the run? Was it of interest to them? Did it build as it went? I, I mean, I have no idea what AHL hockey in Houston could be like during a Calder Cup run. Yeah, they, the city really got behind us. All of a sudden, you started seeing the, um, you know, the TV stations come out and the radio stations come out and stuff. Usually, TV at Houston for for the AHL, they'd pop up every now and then, but they they weren't coming to practice. They weren't really sending a camera to a game. Usually, you'd pull clips from a game and you'd upload it and get it to them. And you know, if they felt like it, they would get a score in because it's, you know, it's it it, it it's a football town number one. So it's Texans pretty much all year round. Um, Rockets to a lesser extent, uh, but when they're doing well, obviously they're they're going to get a lot of coverage. And then and then when the Astros are doing well, I'm sure they're getting a lot of coverage now. At the time, the Astros were terrible, 
Um, but because it was the finals, the media came out, the fans came out. I want to say our last game at home, we had almost 11,000 in the building, which is, wow. you know, well, 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 yeah. well above average. I think we averaged about six or seven uh, dur- during the regular season. And then it kind of incrementally went up as the playoffs went on. But people, people get behind it. Houston's, people don't think of Houston as a hockey town, but it is. And um, hopefully now that Les Alexander's not owning the, uh, or he's selling the Rockets, Hopefully that kind of opens the door for hockey to return. So Marco Scandello is the name of the team. He's a big Sabres acquisition uh, this offseason. Justin Falk was on that team. Interesting, kind of a lowish scoring team to make such a deep run. Matt Hackett was the goalie. Yep. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Really cool. Now to transition into wrestling a little bit. Would you compare? How would you compare? Like NXT to the AHL. Is that a fair comparison? Like you always look at a development. Especially NXT, I always look at it as like a AAA or. Yeah, it, well, it used to be. It's not. It's not really it's grown it's beyond not, that. Not, yeah, it's not developmental anymore, and you know, hunters said that, and you know, they're really pushing that. Oh, we're a brand. NXT's a brand now. Um, personally, I think it's kind of taken away some of the some of the shine and some of the luster from NXT, in my opinion. They've definitely lost um, a lot of steam in the last yeah, year and a half. I feel like. Uh, that's, I mean, and that, you know, that's, that's that's bound to happen. You can't stay hot forever. Um, but for for me, there was something special, and I think for a lot of fans and a lot of people that I, that I talked to, there was something kind of special about NXT being the developmental territory um, and going to shows in Florida and seeing somebody who, you know, a new guy that they're kind of putting out there. Like, you know, for for fans around here, they get to see, for instance, you know, Baron Corbin kind of learn his craft. They get to see Enzo and Cass learn his craft. Um, you know, Neville Neville came over and really became a WWE performer through his time at NXT. Like, it, there's not a lot you're going to teach a guy like Neville. There's not a lot of stuff you're going to teach a guy like Fergal Devitt um, as far as in-ring stuff. But Fergal said this in himself. It was a matter of kind of learning the WWE style, learning where the, where the cameras are, learning, you know, how to, how to position yourself to, to get the proper shot during an entrance and that type of thing. And those are the kind of things that you learn coming to WWE, you know, from New Japan or AAA or, 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 or somewhere else. Um, right. So that was kind of neat to see that growth. But then also to see guys come in or girls come in that didn't have a lot of experience, somebody like Alexa Bliss, and see her go from being, like, really, really, really green, you know, to learning and, and incrementally taking those steps. And she's still, you know, she's still learning now. But, I mean, as far as, like, an in- in-ring performer, she's she's amazing, the She's. I. I think she's a good talker. Her facials are good. Um, she's very emotive, and her in-ring stuff is getting better. So, getting to see. Long story short, getting to see guys kind of grow, whether it be somebody brand new who's very green, or somebody who has experience but kind of learning that WWE style. To see all that come together, at you know, at a, in a VFW or a, you know, a National Guard armory in Stark, Florida, is one that I always use in front of fifty people at some points. It's pretty neat. Dad, did you grow up a WWF kid in the Northeast? Like, did you go to the Boston Garden house shows every once in a while? Or I guess yeah. you lived in Rhode Island, they probably came to Providence quite a bit or somewhere like that. Yeah, they, they ran they ran Providence pretty much every month for a while when I was growing up. Um, I, geez, you know, I want to say probably even until I was in high school, it seemed like they were running Providence still pretty often. Uh, but we'd go to the Garden sometimes, too. Um, I saw Hogan and Flair at uh, Boston Garden. Um, nineteen ninety. I think it was January. Yeah, January ninety two. Just before WrestleMania um, eight, sometime probably. 
Yep, yep. So I finally got to see that. I was, I, you know, I consider myself being, you know, being a Northe- Northeast kid. Ostensibly, I was a WWF guy or a WWF fan, but I, I really gravitated to the NWA. And oh yeah, when I saw, I, saw it, I read that somewhere. Yeah, when I saw it, when I saw TBS and when I saw the NWA, and then uh, there was a station out of Worcester, Mass, that ran worldwide wrestling. I think Saturday nights, at one in the morning. I think it was Channel Twenty Seven, which at the time was a Spanish station, and uh, it was a Uni- uh, Univision station. And one a.m. on Saturdays, worldwide wrestling would come on, so I'd stay up. Nine-year-old me, ten-year-old me, and um, there'd be whatever novella that was on. Be like, okay, wait, <laughs> wait for wrestling, and here would here would come worldwide wrestling. So I gravitated a little bit more towards the NWA because it felt more real. The work, and rate. it had the yeah, it had. The, I don't know. I, I don't even like using the word work rate. I had no idea what that meant back then. I still don't even really like using that term. It just felt more real. It felt more, gotcha. yeah. It had more more of an authentic uh, more of an authentic flair to me. Kids will never know the joy of trying to figure out where the hell the syndicated wrestling program is, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, you remember getting that? I remember every Sunday you get the t- remember the TV book that came in the paper. Yeah, like where it, is Superstars today, or where is Challenge, or whatever show. And, is. and you you would flip through, and it would be blo- <laughs> it would be blocked out, and it would just say wrestling. It never said what wrestling it was. Right. Um. Yeah. So. It was a crapshoot. You you didn't know a lot of times if you were getting wrestling challenge superstars. Worldwide wrestling, the AWA, world class, or like just some other weird little. I, m- I remember even in Providence there was this local promotion that uh, that tried to run TV for a little bit, and it wasn't very good. But I watched it because if it was wrestling and it was on, and I you know I watched it. So the first real angle I remember following was Bundy splashing Hogan and saying the main event and breaking his ribs, and then uh, I remember the vignette they had backstage with like Hogan. Having his ribs taped up, the Mean Gene and the Doctor were there, and I think maybe Hillbilly Jim. And uh, he was training for WrestleMania too, which I ended up watching on tape uh, afterwards. Didn't I don't know? Maybe I just couldn't get the closed circuit outlet, or didn't even know what the hell that was. Who knows? But WrestleMania three was like peak childhood wrestling for me, and the whole Steamboat Savage angle, you know, played out at the perfect time for me in the sense that I definitely thought he hurt his throat. Um, me too. You know what I mean? I definitely thought he was trying to, to kill Steamboat. I mean, I was, you know, I, I was scared I, almost a little bit watching it. I, I could be completely wrong, and I don't know if I'm just – I don't know if my memory's hazy or not. I remember the angle with, um, with Savage coming off and hitting Steamboat, and he had, him, he had his neck draped across the guardrail – and I remember they saying he crushed his larynx. Yep. I remember that 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 was that was the angle. I had no idea I, what that was. Had to ask. I I feel like I was at that show because I think it was it Saturday was. night's main event in Providence. I think, I think. But I think I could the be, Saturday night's main event in Providence is when Steamboat came back after to confront. Is that what it was to confront Savage? It was his first time back, and he came okay. out like in with no T-shirt and the black like kind of pants. And I want to say it was a Boston house show where it happened, though. Is that what um, it was? Okay. Yeah, if my memory isn't fuzzy, which I could be combining the two. But I want to think the Saturday Night Main Event moment in Providence was Steamboat like returning uh, okay. to confront Savage. But I had a big WrestleMania three party, still the biggest day of my wrestling life. And I remember I was only six or seven, so we were probably in like the second grade or whatever, third grade, first grade, I don't even know. But uh, my friends were more – the pizza came right when the Steamboat match was about to start. 
And all my <laughs> friends would rather go in the kitchen and have the pizza. And I was in my mind like, no, I have to watch the Steamboat Savage match. Right. Obviously, it was the best match I'd ever seen. You know, I didn't know that that was wrestling, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I had never – I guess I just didn't understand it could be that fast and that way yeah. or something. There's I, something different about it I knew at that time. I probably didn't know how to describe it, but it it changed my thoughts about what wrestling could be, I guess. I, I, was, still, I was still very little and very young at that point to, you know, try to figure some of that stuff out. Right. I just remember being – I just remember being excited – yeah. Um, that it that it was going on. I'm actually looking back. Saturday night's main event, Providence Civic Center, and let's see, May third, nineteen eighty six. Jake Roberts early. wrestled Ricky Steamboat to a no contest. So oh, whatever, that's when whatever he whatever that, his yeah. head. That's the that's the um, that's the DD, famous Jake Roberts DDT where he thuds Steamboat's head on the concrete and literally okay, so, almost knocks uh, Steamboat to death. Yes. Okay. All right. So I I, re- I remember something big yes. happening with Steamboat at 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 that show. I don't sure. think that was supposed booked as a no contest. I think Steamboat just got knocked out literally. He split he, he split him open if I remember yeah. right, didn't he? It was a nasty DDT. It was just a dead thud on the concrete. So I don't know what ha- who botched or was a I don't know what happened there, but yeah, it was uh it was brutal. But then the funny part of my WrestleMania three story, which I've told on the show many times. Is so there's a Buffalo TV taping on June second, nineteen eighty seven, just a few months after WrestleMania three, and my dad takes me and Steamboat defends the title, and his opponent comes out and it's the Honky Tonk Man and I remember turning to my dad and saying, "This guy stinks. Steamboat's gonna kill him," and he literally lost the belt right in front of me and I cried on my dad's lap the rest of the night. I did not I didn't uh-huh. want to watch. He took he's like Hulk Hogan's coming. I didn't care. He took me for a foam finger, popcorn. I was I was didn't done. matter. Didn't matter. I was the wow. saddest 7-year-old boy in history. Actually, I was still 6. I didn't quite turn 7 yet. I remember going to a show when they were doing the run with Hogan and Orndorff and it was the cage match. And um it led to the Saturday night's main event I think in Hartford. Where they were climbing Big Blue, yeah, and they, and they drop and they, and they dropped down at the same time, and it was yep. like the instant replay. You had, you had to look and see who who fell first. I, I remember the lead up to that. I guess it was a house show in Providence, and there was at one point where like Orndorff, like Hogan's still laying in the middle of the ring, and Orndorff is basically down, almost all the way down. Like all he had to do was <laughs> let go, and and I remember you know what was that? I was probably ten years old or something, just crying like, it, which is funny when I think about it now because. Like I said, I was more of an NWA fan, but there I was. I was so into it that I'm like, oh my God, Hogan's going to lose. And I was crying or whatever. And then, of course, Hogan miraculously somehow makes it over the top. And, you know, again, all Orndorff had to do was let go. And he, and he, and he would have won. But uh, I, I, I remember that too, crying, being like, no, Hogan's going to lose. You know what I think is really cool about that finish is they work that finish all around. I mean, I'm just finding out later in life, but it's interesting to see different people who seen it in different cities because how close they were to actually tying and where people yeah. were sitting has changed people's perception of that over the years. Like, you know, the main one was the one on Saturday night's main event where I think they kind of nailed it. I think they really tied or got really, really close, but they worked that in so many different arenas. And I've heard so many stories in the last four or five years of people who were, you know, I seen them do it in Milwaukee and Orndorff was way ahead. They blew it. Or, you know, I seen it in Boston. It was dead on or what, you know, all the different stories. It's kind of a cool thing that wouldn't happen today. I don't think they would, you know, work a four month 
program with the same match and the same finish every single night. I don't think you could do that in the internet era. No, that was that was the that was the old way of uh, yeah. of, of doing things where you'd have an idea and you'd send it around and um, you know it was kind of an interesting way that they used to book. I'm gonna I'm gonna end up talking to JJ Dillon about this a little bit more because I thought it was fascinating because usually you would build you would book building to either like the big card at the end of the month in the big building or pay per view and you would book based on what was going on 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 TV. But in those days, like for instance, like like this coming week on on the JJ Dillon show, we're talking Flair versus Hogan in the WWF, and they sent that match around the circuit. But while that was going on, Hogan was on TV. Hogan was in a feud with the Undertaker, so the Flair thing was kind of you know what I mean. So that was like the live event loop, and they were kind of trying to see how that would do, and then potentially build to, to WrestleMania eight. And I'm going to get the whole scoop from JJ this week. But that was a completely different way of doing things too, because. You had to give them something on, on the house show circuit, but you couldn't necessarily give them the same match everywhere that was building the TV. So I don't know. It, it was just maybe a little bit of a different way of doing things. There's this podcast called Place to Be Nation that I listen to, and their their main show right now is going – they started in January of 1985, and they're going through the WWF by MSG House Show, Saturday Night's Main Event, and then the pay-per-views, you know, so they, they're in the middle of 86 right now. And it's really interesting to look back because to me, pretty much WrestleMania one and WrestleMania two basically happened overnight from each other. You know, mm-hmm. there, there were two tapes at the grocery store. One was number one and one was number two. And you, I put them in consecutively and didn't even think about what happened in between that year. And people yep. shit on WrestleMania two, which I understand, but it's amazing what a better show that is when you're exposed to the MSG and the build and you actually get a little bit of background behind WrestleMania 2 instead of it just watching it kind of out of context, I guess. That, that's wrestling in, in, in a nutshell. Wrestling out of context is, what is it? It's two guys pretending to fight, right. for, for, la- for, for lack of a better term. Um, that's why storytelling is so important in professional wrestling. The stories behind it, the, the motivations, the reason why. That's the biggest thing that I, that I I've, I ask myself before every match and before every show. I'll go through the matches and Sorry. and uh, go ahead. I'll go I'll, I'll I'll go through the was that was that MSL? Yeah, it was just I wanted to bring up in a second. I was going to make sure I had the name of your podcast right, so I was just trying to. Uh, oh, right, get on, it right up. On. It's just the JJ Dillon show. I guess that was easy enough to remember, but I wanted to make sure I didn't screw it up. So I want to give it a plug. Sorry about that. Oh I, no, no, I appreciate that. Um, I want you to think I was ignoring you, but. No producer. No, no. Got to do um, things but, at once. But the, I, I went. Um, what, what the hell was I saying? I lost my train of thought. You were talking about. We were talking about wrestling out of context and how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah but, so, fight. yeah. Like every, every show that I do, I'll, I'll go through the card, and the first question I ask myself for each match is why. Because without why, it doesn't what what is it? So and a lot of times there are cold matches, so you kind of need to make up why, or you need to find some creative reason why but if you you know you think back to all the all the matches that you're emotionally invested in there's a, there's always a reason why leading into it there's always something at stake and that's you know whether it be a person a personal issue or a championship or, or, or whatever there's always a personal reason and that's what gets you invested in it yeah. you know un- 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 unless it's just super match like back in the day you probably you know you 
before WWF, you could have put Flair and Hogan in the ring and just put them there. But the answer to why was very simple for that, too. You have the NWA champion against the WWF champion. Two biggest so. guys in the world, sort of. So so context in any wrestling matches, I mean, it's the most important thing. Yeah, and you know, uh, David Shoemaker actually was on the show, and he said the smartest thing anyone's ever said to wrestling, about wrestling to me, he said wrestling exists in people's past. And I think that's because you, the older you get, the harder it is to invest in the why, I think. You know, um, the why was I, just so much more important to me. I don't know. Yeah, There's something I, about the imagination of the, the why and how the younger I, you are, the more willing you are to, to suspend it. And I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I, I can look at a, a handful of matches from the past few years that that were easy to invest in. Um, I go back to ta- the first, well, not the first takeover. First takeover I did was Takeover Our Evolution, and I, I always reference this match: Zayn against Neville uh, for the NXT title, and the build to that, and then that match. And then what it led to, I mean, that was, it's textbook wrestling storytelling. It was, it was emotional for a number of different reasons. Um, you understood what Sammy's motivation was. You, went, you understood that now he's conflicted because he keeps getting screwed, and his buddy is the guy who keeps on screwing him. And is Sammy going to, he's got this moral dilemma. Is he going to cheat to win the title? And then he had the opportunity to cheat to win the title. He still couldn't do it, and it almost cost him again. And he finally wins it, and then his and then his best friend kills him after the match. I mean, a months long build, and NXT had the opportunity to do that. Right, where you could have. Well, yeah, I mean, there there were other writers involved, but I mean, it's one guy's vision without fifteen other people saying, "No, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this." It's generally Hunter's vision, and he has his main writer, and there are other guys to help out and stuff. Um, and he gets feedback from different producers and everything. But at that point, like, it was Hunter's vision. And it was a very simple story to tell. There wasn't too much of it, so they didn't have to advance it too fast. You could do that. Again, I mean, that's, that whole Sammy thing was really, you look at it, that was probably more than a year-long build where you go back to him wrestling Cesaro um, and some of the matches that he that he had with Cesaro. And then you build up through the year, and he had the... It was the I think the fatal four way with you know with Tyson Kidd and Kidd comes in and he gets you know ends up getting screwed out of the out of the, out of the uh, I think it was the number one contenders match or whatever it was. But long story short, here's your best friend and that's how they put it. This is one of my best friends and he keeps screwing me for the title. And then he finally gets his opportunity and he finally rises to the occasion. And now here's Kevin Steen, who we've already told you is his best friend. There, you know, oh man, look at that there. You know, rode rode the car for hours and independent bookings together. Blah 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 blah. There, you know, best fan at his wedding. There he is, big hug, and then he then he blindsides him. So it just continued the story. But the context and the believ the believability of that story, that angle, and that match in particular was, if I can point to anything done in the last couple years that stands out to me, is like that's how you do it. That whole story, right there. Yep, and it it happened in your past. Uh, I wanted to mention, we'll, we'll kind of finish up. Uh, Rich Bokini is at Rich uh, B-O, get this right, so we're going to find it, B-O-C-C-H-I-N-I on Twitter. Yep, that's uh, it. And I'm really excited about your work at MLW, uh, the J.J. Dillon show. 
you guys are about what five shows in or so. Yeah, exactly. You've done. You've got five posted right now. Yep. Uh, just did six. Just did show uh, show number six yesterday with JJ as we talk about this. And um, really cool. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about transitioning into podcasts. Sure. Uh, but you can obviously find the JJ Dillon show uh, on iTunes and or Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called, wherever you find podcasts. And then, of course, you've been doing a lot of work on the MLW. Uh, the flagship show um, yep. with MSL. You've been there the last bunch of weeks, um, kind of transitioning to podcasts. I was just going to say, you know, I was gone for a long time from wrestling. I guess I came back when the network debuted. Uh, WrestleMania 30, I think, was the one after that. WrestleMania 30 was damn good, especially for someone who's been gone for a while. Just ending with the Daniel Bryan moment. It was a real easy story to catch up on real quick before. You know, it's kind of uh, it was good, and and they kind of held me in there for a year or two, and then I just kind of got bored. I love John Cena. I admire anyone who can stay at the top for that long, and I really like watching him work and watching him, uh, I watching him just reinvent himself, kind of the last few years and transition to part time, and uh, I really really admire the way he's done it for so long. Um, but. I did notice that I was getting more and more frustrated, and I did notice how much there was out there for someone who was a lapsed fan, so to speak. I mean, all the podcasts, all the footage on the network, all the footage on YouTube, the books. I mean, you can, you can. I I have the last year and a half, other than watching big shows on pay per view, because I have the network and my friend who's a more active fan who wants to come and watch them and I'll watch with him. I've spent it on podcasts and YouTube house shows and stuff they put on the network. You know, that's kind of what I've done the last two years with my wrestling. The time I've had for wrestling has been spent with that. I'm most excited right now, not for SummerSlam, but for this 1996 to 95 unreleased matches DVD that's coming out in September. Like that's the most exciting thing in my wrestling world right now. And, What's gonna win the something to wrestle poll, and will, will this will this will this Sean Mooney show with Hacksaw develop? And you know, am I? I'm interested in JJ Dillon. I didn't realize I was interested in him. This is really cool. You know, like just like so much of that in the place to be stuff I was telling you about with the house shows. There's so much out there for a Laps fan, and I guess as you transition into podcasting, you feel like that's what you're tapping into. Do you like to do that more? Or are you more comfortable? Looking at wrestling from a current kind of worldly view on the on the flagship show, um, that's a um, long winded question, I suppose. No, I mean you know it's it's a little it, it's a little bit of both. Um, when when I left WWE, I I stepped back from wrestling for a little bit. Um, didn't watch anything for I got released in April of last year, so probably until October. I really didn't watch much of anything. I kept up a little bit on the dirt sheets and was just kind of more interested in kind of like what are they doing with some of the people that I know, right? Some of the guys that I that I came up uh, through NXT with, but I, I really didn't watch it. It was just kind of, I, I I think that's understandable. Um, oh yeah, I'm sure you needed a break. Yeah, so I I kind of I kind of got back in got back into wrestling. I still had the passion for it, uh, but I I, just, I needed to just kind of separate myself from the whole thing for a while. Um, uh, I got asked to do an indie show up in Gainesville, Florida, Fest Wrestling, which is a really fun promotion out of Gainesville. 
Um, and that kind of is, that's kind of what drew me back in. So we, you know, we run shows not monthly, but, uh, sometimes we'll run two months in a row. Sometimes there'll be, there'll be a month off depending, uh, the next one's in September in Gainesville. So I started doing that and I got an opportunity to do wrestle circus, which is, uh, you know, creating quite a buzz for themselves out of Austin. It's, it's kind of like PWG, uh, in the middle of the country. It's a, it's like Austin's version of PWG and just, Man, I mean, like, marquee independent matchups. So as I got back into it, fe- doing the Fest show is, is really what drew me back in and, and made me realize, okay, I, I, I do love this stuff. Um, let's kind of, let's, let's go back at it and have fun with it. So now the last, you know, year or whatever it's been, I, I, I've spent more time getting to know who everybody is on the independent circuit. And that's kind of leading me down the road to getting in, in, into New Japan um japan you know you growing up you always heard like how cool japanese wrestling was um uh, but it necess- five you know, stars there yeah you yeah, know but it, it was it, 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 was, it wasn't always easily accessible and it's it's much more easily accessible now it's just a matter of having enough time in the day to watch everything but i'm I, you know i've been learning more about about that and really just learning who some of the top guys are on the independent circuit um in 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 the u.s because you're starting to see now where you've got this upper echelon level of guys who work pretty much all the big independents or the bigger independents. So for lack of a better term, there is kind of a roster, even though it's constantly shifting, but there's those top level guys that you can kind of, you can kind of focus in on. Um, so, so I do that, but shifting over to, over to podcasting, like I dabbled with it a little bit last year. I did a bunch of interviews. Um, I knew that I didn't want to go and just do like a wrestling show. Like, let's go, let's talk about wrestling and what went on. And, and this isn't knocking anybody or, or any but there's enough of those out there right and i don't I didn't really feel like there was a, a, a niche for me or that there was a need for me to you know I, I i could do one but again for what um the mlw stuff just kind of happened um i did a i did a local show in, in in orlando got to know msl a little bit and that kind of morphed into into me jumping on the the flagship show with him uh the mlw radio flagship show then I happened to talk to Court Bauer one day, and we had never connected. Um, I knew his name. I'm sure he, you know he he told me he knew who I was, obviously from you know my time at WWE. But we talked a little bit, and I said, "Listen, like I'm, I my my, my shoot job now is basically producing. I do sports updates. I'm like your morning sports anchor guy on on a number of stations throughout the country. But it's you know I, I have a home studio. I produce the stuff from home." And I said, listen, I'm, I'm here. This is basically what I'm doing. If you ever need a guy just to produce a podcast, even if it's somebody else who's doing it and you just want to send me the guts, I can put it together for you. Right. Put it into Adobe Audition, mix it, add the bells and whistles, blah, 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 blah. And I would have been cool with that. Uh, but then he, he mentioned to me that he had spoken to JJ. And I was like, I was like wow, <laughs> I would I, I'm, sign me up. Um, yeah, especially someone who loved the NWA growing up. That's got to be yep. a, yep. And 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 I had read JJ's book. Um, I think I got it, 2011, 2012. I'd actually purchased it and got a signed copy just to, as a fan. I wanted to read it. Um, there was a while where I, where I read probably like I don't know, probably about ten different wrestling books, just you know, inside books, just trying to learn. You know, I read Ole Anderson's book and a bunch of other ones. But anyway, he mentioned that JJ was interested in possibly doing a podcast, and he put me in touch with them, and we talked and. You know, hit it off, and here we are, episode number six. So, um, you know, whatever the. 
No, I was kind of putting two and two together a little bit last night and wondering if there was a connection to you kind of coming onto the scene with MLW and now they're doing a show and I would think they need someone to call that show and it now seems like they have an obvious... I didn't read the Orlando Orlando Sentinel article, so I don't know if this was part of the news that's out there if I'm asking, end up asking you an uncomfortable question, but I was just kind of putting two and two together and it just seems like, oh, okay. Now there's uh there's ring action to call as well, and it seems like they have the perfect guy to do that now. Uh we'll 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 see what happens. Nothing's been signed on the dotted line yet, but um, you know it's in Orlando. I live in Orlando. I can't see that. I, I couldn't see myself not being there in some capacity or another. Um, right. So so we'll see what happens. You know, I'm I'm sure if they could find a way to get you know Jim Ross or something to to come right. and do it, maybe it, maybe that's um, yeah. Vin Scully's available. I guess we'd all step back for a second, right? But. Yeah, you know, and I mean, there's 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 an, there's another guy in 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 Florida out of Tampa, he, uh, Lenny Leonard, that does evolve, who's excellent, and um, geez, you know what? If, if if Lenny and I could do a show together, that would be a blast. But we're both play by play guys, right? Um, so it, again, like it's you know what, a mile from where from where I live, where the show is going to happen. It's Guilt Night Club, I think October fifth, I think is the date. Um, but I'll. I'm going to be there one one way or another, uh, but nothing's necessarily set in stone or, or whatever. So, Let me give some plugs again real quick, and then I'll get you out of here. It's at Rich Bocchini, R-I-C-H, obviously for Rich, B-O-C-C-H-I-N-I. Uh, you can go to rbvotv.com. That's his website. Uh, the J.J. Dillon Show is part of the MLW Radio Network. Uh, you can get Rich there as well on their flag, flagship show. Um, uh Twi- the Twitter there is at JJ Dillon Show. We have polls up that you can vote on for upcoming episodes. Like I said, this um, the show that's going up this week is kind of our, the culmination of the two episodes we did on. We call it Booking One Hundred and One, yeah. and th- this week is all mostly all user generated or user submitted questions um, that that touch on maybe things we missed or things that we wanted to elaborate or or just stuff that we didn't get to. Um, and it's the first of you know what will be many Q and As or just all all user user submitted questions. Uh, next week we're talking Flair, uh, Flair and Hogan in the WWF, and why that didn't become the marquee match that maybe many people thought that it should have. Um, but again, at JJ Dillon Show on Twitter, uh, ask JJD is the hashtag that you can get questions in. We also do have an email; it's JJ Dillon Show at MLW.com. Feel free to you know send us a note, uh, email us if you have any questions at all. JJ was the the you know, VP of Talent Relations for eight years, worked side by side with Vince McMahon. In addition to working with Dusty in the NWA and learning from Eddie Graham and so much history, so many stories, there's a lot of stuff that we can get into. Uh, and JJ is an open book. He's he's got no agenda. It's just him and I chatting. It's it's a conversation. Um, I told him from day one I was gonna. At times, I'd ask him tough questions, and he's answered them. He's so th- th- there's no axe to grind. There's no agenda. There's no whatever. It's just two guys that love wrestling. Uh, JJ from obviously a, a, a different era, but still, you know, he likes to say, I'm not a dinosaur. I, I'm, I'm always learning. So that's a lesson right there from him. Um, and I, I consider this almost like studying for my master's in professional wrestling. It's really clicking. I've really enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. I, I well, no, that's not even true. I think I just went into it with probably zero expectation. Uh, but I've really enjoyed it. I want to throw a question into the ring for this Hogan and Flair thing. And that is sure. right around the same time that Hogan and Flair didn't happen, uh, Demolition and Legion of Doom basically never happened. Uh, and I just would be curious because you'll probably never devote a show to that not happening like you are this one. But I'd just be curious like the parallels to 
you know, you bring in the biggest star, single star from the south to the north and have a chance to have the showdown. It doesn't really happen the way we would expect. And then also the biggest tag team from the north and the biggest tag team from the south are united. And again, it just doesn't happen. And I got to think that there's it's right around the same time. Maybe a, the demolition is a, maybe a year before or half a year before. Uh, but I got to think that there's some kind of parallel in the sense of why both of those didn't happen. I got to think that you know I'll, the I'll, reasons I'll, can I'll, be similar. I'll, I'll get it. I'll, I'll ask that question of JJ. My gut feeling is that it's you know the typical Vince thing. If Vince didn't create it, he hates it. Right. Um, I know that they sent the and you probably know, the Axis Health didn't help. What's that? Axis Health probably didn't help. So like demolition yeah. was on the decline by the time they got there, right? Because Axe right, right, was right. barely active at the time, barely. You know, it's that probably. You know, I, I I I would guess part of it's you know again it's you know not Vince's creation, but then the other part of it is you know with Hogan and Flair. I know they sent it around the loop, and, and they say I guess it's it, bomb. They say eh, it didn't necessarily perform the way they wanted it to. I I actually went. Somebody put up on on YouTube. I was actually shocked that I found this. Um. On, on YouTube, there's a fan somehow that has video, fan video. They, I guess, snuck in a video camera from some of those house show matches out on the West Coast. I think there's one from Oakland, and there's one from San Francisco that's on YouTube. And the cool thing that they did is they found the old, like, event center stuff with Sean Mooney. That's really cool. To- yeah. Toss it, toss it <laughs> to the interviews with Flair and Hogan. And then, so you have that. And then it cuts to like a shot of the marquee outside the building, and it says tonight, you know, WWF tonight, Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan, and then they show the match, and you know, it's, it's you know, grainy fan cam video, but just watching it, the crowd seemed like like it was pretty hot. Yeah. Um, my understanding from JJ is that there was one particular show in Florida where Vince expected a, a sellout, and they fell just short of a sellout, and Vince was like, "That's it, they're done." Yeah. Um. So, you know, well, we'll, 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 more. Yeah. we'll get into more of that this week for sure. Can't wait. All right. Very, 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 very last thing because you brought it up. Wrestling books. What, if you had to read one tomorrow, which one would you read? Um, it, it, am I shilling if I plug JJ's book? No. Wrestlers are, wrestlers are, are not like if that's what you believe is the answer. You're not shilling. No, you, you, can, you can get that uh, jjdillon.com. Uh, yeah, wrestlers are like seagulls. Um, he'll sign it for you as well. I gotta say, I, I, I've been reading Ole Anderson's book again. It's called Inside Out, um, and Ole is a very controversial figure. Has his um, his take on, on on what the industry should be. Very fascinating read from from somebody who's very entrenched in the old school way. So it's a very interesting read to um, get an unfiltered look through Ole's eyes and kind of get his ideas. So those those are two that I've reread recently for the podcast. Um, those. I'm sure there's others, but those are the ones that jump off the top of my head. Do you ever get to read the kind of like infamous Gary Hart one? That's kind of like I, out there, but I, not I, out there, or whatever. I, I I did. A friend of mine sent me a PDF version, which I'm yeah. told is actually an early version of it. I'm told I there's another PDF version too. that's. I yeah, I, yeah, I was I told that. I, I I was told that that's either like I don't know if that was uh, like a like a manuscript or if that was like an early unedited version i read it i thought it was fantastic but apparently there's another version that i guess is better yeah so. the one i read was really cool i don't know if it's earlier or later where it stands in the lineage of the book one thing i did that was really cool to recommend on this topic is if you read the dynamite kid and bret hart's book back to back it's really cool because they tell two sides to so many stories 
you know, they were there, especially from the Calgary years and then those early WWE years. So many of the stories in both books are the same, but told from a different perspective. It's kind of cool. So yeah. All right. Well, I never meant to do sure. it this long, so sorry about that. Uh, nah, thanks no for worries, all the man. time. It was really fun uh, talking to a fellow northeastern Italian who loves hockey and wrestling. Steve, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks, and, uh, and 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 anytime, feel free to feel free to hit me up. Cool. Cool. Thank you, buddy. I want to thank Rich Bocchini for being on the podcast today. I also want to thank Dan Levy for being on the show. Don't forget to find this week's show and all of our shows on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. You can find me and the show on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Uh, the hockey show, Lonely End of the Rink, is on off-season, although Dater and I are working on a couple of summer specials. Uh, for more information on that, at Lonely Rink Pod on Twitter. Next week on this very program, Jeff Passan from Yahoo Sports and Michael Fabiano, Fantasy Football Hall of Famer from the NFL Network, will be on. Also, I'm working on a SummerSlam 88 special. Hopefully that gets done this week. I'd like to have it up if possible. Keep looking for it on SoundCloud and in the Apple uh, music feed. Don't forget, I'm also producing a podcast called Motivation Through Music. New episodes every Monday, and you can... We just recorded one today. The song this week is Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. And if you want more information on the Motivation Through Music podcast, you can search on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher as well, or SoundCloud, or Twitter, at M through M pod there. All right. One last thing, and we will let our guest go first. Well, Steve, I appreciate being on. I appreciate being here on this little corner of the internet. And I'm going to do what I do best and bring up the strangest, weirdest sports you know. I kind of make that a gimmick of mine, as you know, on Twitter. And... This week, I've been watching a lot of the uh, the swimming world championships and the Olympic Channel. Um, lo- I love swimming. I just love g- good international competition. But in the morning one day, I found a clip show for an event called the World Games, which is just like the Olympic Games, but for all the sports that aren't in the Olympics. Yeah. So you have uh, fin swimming, where people, the swimmers wear big, you know, kick fins on their feet in the pool. They have... Um, I'm sure you've seen figure skating, but have you seen roller skating? They have that. Tandem gymnastics, uh, tumbling. Most interestingly, they have football, like as an international event. And more interestingly, the U.S. didn't win gold. They won bronze, barely. Um, France beat Germany in the gold medal final. And I just think it's kind of neat seeing these events having uh, some type of showcase. Because I think sports are just, you know, good, dumb fun. And, you know, yeah, I'll watch... A, ni- a 90 second highlight of indoor rowing why just to say i did it and you know it's fun it's silly it's a good time and the next event in four years is actually in the states it's down in birmingham alabama Ooh. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure that, you know, having Team USA football there is going to be a big hit. <laughs> and, um, but it's, it's just, it's just kind of neat seeing some cool other new sports that you don't usually get to see. And, um, it's just weird. I don't really have many people to talk to about it because it's the weird sports and I'm the weird sports guy in my group of friends. Yeah. You <laughs> so. watch a lot of bullshit. I mean, you watch <laughs> division two basketball. You watch. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I get paid to cover division two basketball. Yeah. Let, but even if you didn't, you would be, you would have, if that was on somewhere, you would watch it and tweet about how oh. it's better than the NBA finals. I, hey man, I watched the Elite Eight. It's good. T- it's 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 a good time. To, don't don't give me shit for that. You live but, to troll people about this dumb shit, though. Oh come on! I don't live to troll people about this dumb shit. I just you like do. watching it. And then you like, you like to talk about how you don't watch the NFL. That sucks. But you will be there for indoor rowing. You you get off on that. I mean, it's fun to watch. I mean, I don't really get off on it. It's just like, huh? It's an eleven thirty in the morning. It's a clip show. I wonder what this is about. And also, the NBA Finals are just my favorite thing. So just to say that, because I'm totally on the Warriors bandwagon. So it's yeah. been good, totally on the bandwagon. But I'm also, yeah, it's not. It's nice on here. Good time. Um, you and yeah, Chris great. Ballard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Celtics are definitely a fun time out here. But just kind of going back, it's just kind of neat to see all these new sports and just see all the stuff. There's like fistball, which is like tennis, but you can, five on five with, like, a soccer ball, and you can only hit it with your fist. They're really strange. But it's a good time. So, like, go support your weird local sports. It's when I it. was, I think, around 12, there was something called the World University Games hosted in Buffalo. But I think it was like the Olympics, but with university students. Yeah, I think they still, I think they still have those. Because I remember when I was in college, there was some kid, I don't know if it was, if there was some rowers or, oh, no, was um the sailing team like you or I as a club sailing team but they went to the world university games i think they were in like china or japan somewhere and uh so no those those definitely still exist but it is kind of weird how just like all these international competitions and and for Christ's sake the us lost took bronze in football like yeah, how's that who, who was playing how do you get anyone to play on that? like who's on that team yeah i mean that's the thing i don't know anybody on that team because I also think they put, like, heavy restrictions on the U.S. team. Because even if they got a bunch of guys who just, you know, basically played at, like, you know, Central Michigan and um, Northern Illinois and school in Appalachian State that aren't playing pro ball right now, I'm sure, you know, those are, that, those are D1 schools. I'm sure they would steamroll um, any, any other country because they do that at the World Championships. Uh, but, I don't know, I just thought it was kind of neat. And the, the 29th Summer World University Games are August 19th to 30th, 2017 in Taipei. Oh, Taiwan. Yeah. Or Chinese Taipei, excuse me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it just sports are cool, man. Like All the power fun. to you. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fun. Speaking of fun, one last thing for me today. I watched season two of Last Chance U uh, the last few nights. And, man, so many things to think about. Uh, did you Have you watched Last Chance U at all on Netflix? I ha- I, I've wanted to. I haven't yet. I did hear, though, that they're changing schools for season three. They are changing. Okay, so yeah. last I heard, they hadn't decided what they were going to do. They were still up in the air. Uh, the school in Mississippi really wanted them to come back for season three, but... 
No, they're going to a school in uh, Kansas, I believe. Maybe Missouri, but I think it's Kansas. That makes sense. I don't think it's a bad thing for them to change schools, especially since the show is kind of centered around the academic counselor, this girl named Brittany Wagner, who left the school. Uh, look at It's compelling, compelling storytelling. They do an amazing job. Season one was great. Season one starts with them showing you just the most insane football brawl you've ever seen in your life. And as oh, the season unfolds, you come to find out that during the last game before the playoffs, they were beating a team so badly because you have to blow these teams out in JUCO because the only way to play in the national championship game is to be ranked number one or two. So they still have that problem that like D1 college football had during the BCS where you're running up the score on teams, you kind of have to do it. And this yeah. team just had a, they were losing forty eight to nothing at halftime or right before halftime and this uh John Franklin the third who's at Auburn now had six touchdowns or something already. And they called a timeout to get the ball back, like with thirty seconds and a half, up by forty nine or whatever it was. And it just started yeah. a huge, huge brawl and they didn't get to play in the playoffs, they didn't get a chance to win the national championship, whatever. Season ended right there. So season two picks up. You find out that basically the whole team is suspended for week one of the season, and they have to play uh, the season with the first game of the season with like 32 guys. And they, I won't say if they won or lost. It's a really compelling uh, first episode. Another really compelling thing about this season is Florida State's version of Joe Mixon. I want to say his name is... I'm going to forget his name, but... Uh, the kid from Florida State who got kicked out for punching the girl in the bar uh, is actually the quarterback okay. of this team. And uh, is this the kid that wound up going DeAndre something? Yes, and he's at he was who? with Lane Kiffin, right? Yeah, now. he's at yeah he's at uh, at Florida Atlantic. Yeah, DeAndre Johnson in his name. Yup, that's the guy. And I'll tell you what, he deserves to be in a better place. I th- I think. I think what happened to him is everything that's everything I hate with society, I think. Uh, I do not. I have a daughter, a really young daughter, and I'd hate for her to be in a bar and get punched in the face by a guy. That'd be awful. I hope it never happens. I'm sorry. I, it would, ha- cer- I would certainly hope you feel that way about your daughter. I'm sorry it happened to this girl. I really am. I'm very sorry. Uh, the point is that in the wake of it happening... I think as a society, we have to do everything we can, especially when it's essentially children that this happens with, to make sure that both of them can live life after they've paid their debt to society. And DeAndre Johnson certainly did that. He was arrested, obviously. Uh, he was charged. He was went through the legal process, cleared his name legally. He went to East Mississippi for two years. Never got in trouble. Never even ripped up a parking ticket like Joe Mixon did. You know, never got in trouble. Played unbelievably well in the field. Showed to be an incredible leader. And he could barely get a scholarship. And why? It's because people don't want to deal with the shit. It's almost like the Kaepernick problem. I think half of the battle for Kaepernick is the teams just don't want to deal with the shit. And I think that's what happened to DeAndre Johnson. And they made a really great point about recruiting. Nobody wanted to be, to be the first team to offer because the first team was going to get the brunt of the shit. And if you're the first team, 
you bury the brunt of it, and then six more teams come in, and you don't even get them then. And I think that was a real concern. I just, I, it just really frustrated me the whole season. There's another star player on the team named Isaiah Wright, who has just a, a terrible backstory, and he's unbelievably talented. He's at a D2 school now because he started the season with offers from Florida State and... Uh, I mean, just all these big schools, and they all just went away as his troubles increased over the course of the season. Uh, Brittany Wagner leaves leaves the school, like I said. The coach, Buddy Stevens, is still a big, fat asshole. But, man, it's it's really compelling television. The stories that these kids uh, of the kids, two guys that they focus on, both three actually, all got kicked out of big schools. Texas Tech, a linebacker, had the most serious offense. He was he got charged with a felony, an armed robbery, uh, which I think was eventually dropped. And he actually ends up going back to Texas Tech. Also proves to be a really great kid. Uh, so I'm really glad for him that he was able to pay his debt to society and uh, go back to a Division One school. Because, look, at if the best way you can earn a living is playing football, why should we stop someone who... I just don't believe in this, like, oh, college football is a privilege. It's not. I just, I don't know. Why not? Why can't he play anymore? Why not? And I don't know if I'm being a hypocrite. And you can tell me if I am in terms of my stance with Kaepernick. But that's like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know what you do with an 18-year-old for the rest of his life. If it's clear that, like, why aren't we going to let him play? Like, everyone, I don't know. I just... I'm conflicted. It's maybe a bad thing, but DeAndre Johnson, I'm I'm rooting for him. I root for Joe Mixon too. Uh, I'm not as happy with him. Uh, I don't think he would even did nearly as well rehabilitating himself as DeAndre did. Uh, but also, I didn't get to see a six month to a year documentary of his life either, Mixon. So I don't know as well. But man, great story storytelling. Netflix kills it with this. Uh, with this DVD. There was a story here eight hours ago. Will there be a last, last chance you season three? Um, and it says here that Netflix wants to start canceling more shows. Uh, but yeah, as you said, in short, the critically acclaimed series cer- certainly seemed to have the fan interest to document another football season in Scuba, Mississippi. Uh, and Let's it won't be it. long to find out. Ah, Not so, all of your friends are creating. So we'll see. Oh, we got an auto video here. Imagine Someone's pivoted. Group of them. Yeah, Someone's pivoted, out. Mike. There's the early. They have, the they have a video that's playing for no reason on our article it wa- here. It was it, it, it wasn't me, but I'll say, unlike you, I'm not pulling. Well, especially for Joe Mixon. Like I've seen that video. I mean, I could. It's the same thing. The videos yeah. are almost carbon copy. It's almost the same thing. The, the, I mean, the girl says something to him. They go back and forth. The girl kind of pushes him. The girl ends up getting punched with a Mike Tyson hook. I mean, the, both videos uh, they are the same. You've seen one. Well, you've, you've seen them both. Okay. Well, I mean, as, as for me, especially considering it's a, a guy like Kiffin's one who recruited them. And Kiffin well, he is just. He wasn't even hired when he got the scholarship. The scholarship came, and then Kiffin got hired two days later. So then, who, so then, who offered him a scholarship if there was no coach? The staff that was there. 
I mean, life goes on. And I mean, you probably know better about recruiting than me. I, I don't know. Well, no, because when... But he when accepted I, the scholarship on the 8th, and Kiffin signed the 10th. Okay, well, I'm sure that those two had to have talked somewhere along the line. Because also, it's, I mean, it, it's Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin has made a career out of just out of being Lane Kiffin, so for what lack should, of a better term. what should happen, in your opinion, to DeAndre Johnson? So he gets in trouble, he punches a girl in the face, gets kicked out of Florida State. I can totally understand that decision. I have any problem with that. Gets kicked out of Florida State. Then he goes well, to junior college, go, or first goes through the courts, pays his debt to society, you know, apologizes to the girl. The girl is in the documentary. Uh... I'm sure deals with whatever civil penalties there may be attached to that. Then goes to well, junior college for two years. Then what is he supposed to do with his life? Well, no, I mean, you know, if if he pays his debt and, um, you know, I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's just the system and the world just goes as it goes. But I can also be of the opinion that while you are going to pull for him to succeed, I'd probably not. And but isn't I mean, it kind of like rooting against the president? Doesn't it make zero sense to not root for him to succeed? Like, what's the opposite? Isn't the opposite of him succeeding him like falling back into a terrible life and punching another girl in the face? Well, there can also be him just not succeeding as a football player. But why? So why also, do you care? Well, you want him to be an accountant? What? I mean, what do you want him to do instead? I mean, I don't know. It. It's not really my place to figure out what he wants to do with his life. But why are you against him being, like, what's the difference? Like, I heard some people say, like, well, I, you know, football, he doesn't deserve football or something. I don't understand that at all. Like, we should send him to the accounting office? Like, that? that's okay? I, th- I think there's, like, a jealousy involved. Like, if we see anyone get in trouble, we don't want them to be, one, like, a millionaire or something. We want them to be... Well, because that you have this the, the just world fallacy that people who do bad things wind up, you know, don't ha- wind up having bad lives, and people who do do good things wind up having good lives, and that's just not always how it works out. Um, you know that, and I know that. But what do you and, want? What do you want this kid? Like, ideally for you, what does what happens to Joe Mixon and DeAndre Johnson? What happens to both of them? In in your ideal mind? In my ideal mind. You you kind of you in my ideal mind you would go trying to think in, in a good picture here is you go the Michael Vick route and when Michael Vick went to prison he I mean he, what was he in jail for three four years he came out um and he really was a changed man he did a lot of work with animal rights groups he did um he did a lot of good work with a lot of good uh, groups out in the civilian community and he played and, for the Eagles well I mean. You can't have everything that happen to you in life. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, I, you know, I try and create some real tangible good. I mean, you did a really gnarly, terrible, awful thing, which, I mean, the world, if the world doesn't, doesn't want to forgive you for, I mean, the weird world of college football, that's fine. But, you know, you, you, you screwed up immensely. Go do something good. Go support rain go do fundraisers and who's more likely to do that a rich joe mixon or a we're gonna blackball you from football and make you be an accountant and make thirty five thousand dollars joe mixon well ideally it would be nice if both of them did it but um if 
if I would think there would be one more likely to do it than the other, it would be Johnson. Do I think either of them will? I don't know. I would like. I would. It would certainly be nice to actually create some tangible good like that. But whatever their life prerogative is, is their life prerogative. That's I mean, we both kind of said that we we really appreciate the fact that Kaepernick is doing tangible good, regardless of anything I think about him. I appreciate the fact that he stood by his principles and that he's putting his money where his mouth is. Yeah. Right. And. I hated Michael Vick. I, look, it, Michael Vick was a Falcon, man. I hated Michael Vick more than I've ever hated a player, probably. Oh, yeah. You, you, you're, you're Mr. Saints. I forgot. Right? So I've never hated anyone as much as I hated Michael Vick. I was thrilled when he at the downfall of Michael Vick. But you know what? Everything that happened after, I think, was good. Like, Michael Vick doesn't do dogfighting anymore. Uh, he speaks out against it. He got to play again. Like... I want that for these guys. Like, I want them to be able to come out on the other side and make the most of their abilities. Like, I just want... I, I, I hope everyone can live up to their full potential, whatever that is. Like, well, I, I can't root against a human. Like, I don't want to pick it and choose which humans I'm going to root against for their mistakes. Especially 17-year-olds. I mean, my, my thing I leave is it up all... to the courts. Like, if DeAndre Johnson would have killed her, and, and he could have, it was that vicious, the punch. I'm being honest. Uh, the penalty in the legal system would have been much harsher, and I would have supported that, right? He didn't. Yeah. He didn't, and it's a simple assault or whatever, and the penalty is what the penalty is. Maybe we should just talk about Mixon for a second because I know his case more. So Mixon got a one-year suspended sentence and was told he had to do community service, and all the steps that were laid out for him during that one year he completed. And now his debt to the justice system is complete. Just like for Michael Vick, he was put in jail. He served the time he needed to, t- to serve and came out and completed that debt. And then in the post, once the court, the court, the justice system in our country that we have set up, the only one that, I, that we have, so it's the only one I can hope is the best it can be. I don't know if it's perfect, but it's the only one we have. So I turn these situations over to the courts. The courts decide what debt the player has to pay to society and after that i just root for them to reach their full potential well my outlook and this goes with pretty much any type of anything is uh, i mean well this doesn't go for every situation because you know if you're you know if you pull a gun on someone and you know you you know commit murder i don't want you out of prison ever again um but oh, hell oj's out he, he made he made it out um he was never but, convicted that is true. He was convicted of the other things, but he was not convicted of what he should have been convicted of. Right, you got and, and um, but like I'm a big believer in second chances, but not third chances. You know, if if you if you screw up, you mess up. You know, just with with anything. All right, that, that's that, that's fine. Uh, but you you make one you make one mistake, people it happens. You make the same mistake twice. It's kind of becoming a pattern. Um, so. You know, I believe in second chances, but anytime you do something again, and I'm not saying that anyone's going to commit any of these crimes a second time, but if that happens, then you just you have to throw the the, the entire bookshelf at them, in my opinion. All right, like well, we, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. I, I don't claim to have the answers. Last Chance You Season 2 is available on Netflix, and you could stream it, I guess, and make your own decision. Thanks, Mike. Hey, I appreciate it, Steve.